Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. I like to say it's a successful year because I don't play for anything besides winning championships at this point in my career. And um, I, don't, I don't get a kick out of making a conference appearance. I've done it a lot. And, <laughs> and it's not fun to me to not be able to be able to be a part of, uh, you know, getting to the finals. But, um, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens going forward. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. And um, just for me personally, going going forward with the game of basketball, got a lot to think about. Viewboard.com studios for the fan midday show on a Tuesday. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison. Thank you for hanging along with us here this afternoon. A lot to dive into. We had emotions galore yesterday recapping Graham Rahal's absence from the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. He gets bumped by teammate Jack Harvey. And then in an unfortunate set of circumstances for for all involved in a a bittersweet moment in that regard for Graham Rahal, he ends up punching a ticket to the Indy 500 field. But that's because Stefan Wilson injured yesterday. The Dryan Reibold entrant was. And now it opens the door for Graham Rahal to actually get his 16th start in the greatest spectacle in racing. We'll dive into that today with reactions on that front. Plus, Renus VK and Elio Castroneves are going to join us throughout the show. VK, bottom of this hour, bottom of the 2 o'clock hour, the four-time winner in Castroneves will join us. And, of course, plenty of action across the NBA as one conference finals is over and another one potentially is closed out tonight. You can hear that Celtics and Heat. Game four in progress after... Trackside at 7 and Beyond the Bricks at 8. Game will start right around 9 in terms of in-progress coverage here on the fan. But first, James, I want to look at last night's NBA Conference Finals on the west side of things. And your general reaction, I want to bring Eddie on this as well, to where it looked like you were going to get what you asked for yesterday, which is a don't-get-swept type performance, a, a dominant kind of answer game from LeBron of a over-my-dead-body type of game. We're getting swept. You got that for a half of basketball. He was still relatively strong in the second half, but by the end of the day, Denver once again reminded everybody why you might not be paying attention to us if you're a casual fan, but we are the top contenders to go ahead and win this thing here in a couple weeks. Yeah, I thought it was an outstanding performance from them, especially in the second half. First half, they were kind of fooling around, and it just felt like they hit them with that we're a championship team sledgehammer. <laughs> and um, I admire both sides of it. LeBron really went back into like vintage LeBron for that first half. And even the second half, people were kind of complaining like, in the third quarter, when the Nuggets are making their comeback, they're like, man, why is LeBron in the post? Why is LeBron doing this? And the broadcast was hilarious. You know, Jeff Van Gundy's like, I need LeBron guarding Jokic. I need LeBron running the pick and roll. I need LeBron, you know, in the post. And I'm like, he's 38. <laughs> what else do you want from him? The guy gave you 40 points, um, 10 and 9. But I think the story of that game, beyond, you know, LeBron and his 
kind of fake retirement comments, maybe real, I don't know, is the fact that the Nuggets look like a championship team and they close it out and they made every play down the stretch that they had to. And I thought Jokic was spectacular when he needed to be. Some of those one-legged, back-of-the-head, shot clock running down shots are just gut punches. And it felt like, you know, that's a team that's that's – very solidified at the moment and feels like they have something to do um, they haven't done in franchise history, which was at first getting to the finals and then now having a chance to win it. They also never beat L.A. before in a playoff series, able to check that box as well by defeating the Lakers in a clean sweep last night. We've often seen national pundits jump the gun a little bit game by game. It's very natural for that to happen of where a series is going to go or who is going to actually raise the Larry O'Brien trophy. Uh, we've joked with our friend Tony East, who we'll likely have on either later this week or next week here on the program, that we've given him opportunities to pick a finals winner, and I think he's been wrong every time we've asked him so far within this playoff series, or he, he's been close to it. We were joking about it the other day. And I say that because right now it'd be very easy to look at Denver and say, rightfully so, this is the most complete team we just ignored them a little bit because it was Denver, because that there were flashier names or flashier play styles, perhaps, even though some of those ridiculous circus shots by Jokic and then what Jamal Murray is able to do as a guard in this league are just as mesmerizing as any of the top players, not only in that conference, but across the entire association. You look at them and you think this is the most deep team in the entire NBA. This is the team that should be the favorite. They likely will be favored. But you look at what Miami has done and perhaps it's the Jimmy Butler effect. Maybe it's just the way that Eric Spolstra has that group playing. I'm not ready to lock in like I think some people might if Miami closes things out tonight, a title for Denver. I really think this is going to be, whether the ratings are there or not, a highly fascinating and competitive series, provided they can do anything to limit one of Jamal Murray or Nikola Jokic. You have to almost pick your poison with how high level they're playing. Heck, James, you could have had a strong debate that Jamal Murray deserved the Western Conference Finals MVP that was given out last night. Not Nikola Jokic because of just the way he played and how effective he was and efficient he was from beyond the arc throughout the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I thought Murray was spectacular. I saw a screen grab last night where <laughs> he averaged over 32 points a game. Shot very efficiently from the field. I believe it was like 50, 40, 90. It might have been 50, like 50, that. 90, yeah. something like that. And so I thought he was wonderful and a true co-star in every sense of the word. The reason why you see the argument could have been made, I'll say this, he deserved a nod. The argument couldn't have been made for anyone else, though, in, no. in real reality. Because Jokic was just so dominant. I believe he broke the record for most um, triple doubles by a center in the playoffs, passing Wilt. You know, he became, I believe, the first player in NBA history or one of a few to have back-to-back series where he averaged a triple-double. And so this is a guy who's done it in 15 games now. You're Like, we look at Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double, LeBron averaging a triple-double in the finals one year. Those are four or five games, six-game stretches. He's done it for like a month now, which is ridiculous. And so I do think they're going to be the favorite, whoever comes out of the East, whether it's Miami or the Celtics, I think it's going to be Miami at some point, whether it's tonight or a few nights from now. But the reason why I would lean towards the Nuggets, I wouldn't say it would be, you know, they're just going to go in there and sweep them like they sweep the Lakers. 
I just think that they have more firepower at their disposal than any team left. I mean, you got the two-time MVP, the new Western Conference Finals MVP. You have another star right next to him who's getting it done. And you have an outstanding cast of role players. And the one thing about the Nuggets is they're not really small. So I think that they can just outsize a lot of these Miami Heat players, you know, Gabe Vincent, Kyle Lowry. They have littler guards and littler players. Even Bam Adebayo, who's a fantastic defender. I thought AD was the best defender in the playoffs this season. (laughs) Didn't matter. And it didn't matter. So I'm like, (laughs) no disrespect to Bam, but I don't expect Bam to be the Jokic stopper. So, I mean, this is why I guess I talk about it because I do want to see it and see what adjustments can be made. And, and if you can get hot one night and not get on a bunch of threes or do something, or maybe Jimmy Butler goes superhuman and has another 45-point game in him or something, but it just feels like uh, Denver is on their way to history. And I do think that this will be a really cool moment for either Jokic or Jimmy Butler, because either way, I think whoever wins this championship, assuming it's those two teams in the finals, it's one of the greatest underdog stories in sports because Nikola Jokic was like the Tom Brady of the NBA. No one expected him to be that good. He didn't even expect to be that good. You know, there's a quote that he I had from, read from a different story where he referenced like his dream was just to play professionally in Europe. It wasn't to be in the NBA. And so to be one of the best players ever already – it's pretty crazy. And then Jimmy Butler, obviously, we know his story of going into junior college and then going to Marquette and being kind of this raw prospect and then emerging now to being a superstar. So I'm excited for what's to come. I'll be a little sad with the NBA, but we'll have, you know, WNBA and other things going on. And obviously, you know, the greatest spectacle in racing, as you say, and mm-hmm. as everyone else says. So things like that will, I guess, hold me over. But um I'm excited about it because I think it's new. And people who complain about ratings and whatever else, yeah, it's fun to see the guys you always see, but it is also cool to see the passing of the torch in a sport because it doesn't happen as often as we think. You know, it feels like we're ending this LeBron, Steph, KD era, and we're entering a new one in the next years to come. When you go out east, and this has been our talking point throughout because – it felt like there was a, a power vacuum present within the Eastern Conference this season, and it especially became available when Milwaukee's dealing with, with injuries and, and dealing with you know the health of Giannis and trying to be careful with him in the early stages. Miami's able to take advantage of that, and by the time they finally bring out Giannis, it's too late. Miami's dominance is then flexed over the course of this postseason to the point that now they are also on the doorstep of completing a sweep of the Boston Celtics. You mentioned what Denver has done, what Miami has done. They're both underdog stories to some extent. I get your phrasing with it, right? The build of Denver as a whole is an underdog story because of what Jokic was able to become, because of this resurgence of Jamal Murray after the ACL injury a couple years ago, after his dominance in the bubble. And it's homegrown. Right. And that's the bigger thing there is that when we look at both these teams, a lot of it is homegrown efficiency. Jimmy Butler obviously was acquired differently. He was not a drafted player in Miami, but he was still a player that was desperately looking for a home and was able to find one in Miami. So let's start out east with this conversation and how it impacts the Pacers. We've mentioned it that the only way to be able to really compete, regardless of your market size, unless you are one of the tippy-top teams across the board, whether it is 
the Lakers, the Knicks. You throw Miami in there because of like the power that they have, and they're a very high-level free agent destination. So we'll include them in there as well. Boston, like most of the teams, though, within the Eastern and even the Western Conference that are below that line, you have to draft well. How special is that to see both of these teams in some regard being done, I don't want to call it the right way because free agency is a part of the game, right? Like I'm I'm fine with teams building through free agency or building through trades, but to see a foundation laid out cleanly like that in Miami and Denver is what you should be aspiring for in terms of team building and knowing that if you're able to knock it out of the park in the draft year after year after year, you're eventually, <laughs> Lord will it, going to be able to be in a spot to contend. Yeah, I think... It's a hard bet, you know, because you want to make sure that you get certain guys and we can go through every draft and say this guy shouldn't have been picked over this guy. You know, I I think of a guy like Devin Booker, who I believe was the number 13 pick in the draft. He's a superstar now. Obviously, if you redo that draft class, he probably goes in the top five, top two or something like that, maybe even number one. But I think that it speaks to – what you're able to sell to the players, to your fan base, that it's probably going to be more stable when it's built that way as opposed to going out and acquiring a bunch of stars and trying to just ragtag it to the finish line. And that's worked in the past. Obviously, it's worked with LeBron a few times. But I think LeBron is sort of the exception to the rule because you look at – since he's into the league in 2003 – He's won the most championships along with Steph Curry and Draymond and Clay in that core. They've won four. And I believe LeBron is the only one who's been able to travel, rebuild, you know, give me a superstar teammate, give me two superstar teammates, and we can just figure the rest out. And even now at this age in his career, I don't think it works the same because he's just not that level anymore. And so if you're able to build it sort of like the Steph Curry Golden State way, where it's more homegrown and you're not chasing after guys every year and having to restructure everything every year, it probably is a little bit easier to um, keep it together. Even if you look back at the Spurs dynasty where you have your guys that you, again, homegrown guys, it's easier to build that. Now, if you add a piece or two like Miami did with Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler – it's still, in my opinion, very much homegrown because everyone else is like undrafted or someone they picked up, you know, from another team or someone that they believed in or, or got more out of than any other franchise was able to. And so that to me is the difference and why there's no wrong way to do it. I don't think the Lakers regret trading away a bunch of assets for, you know, a chance to win the championship, which they did in 2020. But now a couple years later, you're like, man, where do we go from here? Because we're out of our assets we had a route of resources to do it the way that it's usually done and so um i think that it's now with lebron declining and the league itself becoming more talented we're starting to see like you said yesterday more of these dynamic duo types as opposed to the big threes um that we saw in cleveland and in miami and it's funny that you mention where the Lakers are at as a whole because when I look back at them doing that method of we're going to go all in right now go get ourselves a championship make the moves that are made I don't think there's much of a problem or an issue with that it was how they approached 
the offseason or this past offseason when they go and acquire Russell Westbrook and sacrifice a ton of their depth. Now, obviously, they had, because they're the Lakers, had an emergency release valve they could push and were able to right the ship at the deadline and get some quality players that were, to some extent, diamonds in the rough, like Rui Hachimura. Perhaps he needed a bigger role and a better spot to be able to grow. He was able to do that. Uh, Obviously, Austin Reeves has been sensational for them. D'Angelo Russell was D'Angelo Russell. We won't waste too much time talking about him. If you watch the games, you know what we're talking about. It was very frustrating at times, depending on how you were looking at these games from an objective point of view. But then you go out west to Denver and you see again, there's no perfect formula to this, right? Like if we were talking to Kevin Pritchard, if we were talking to anybody who's in the Pacers front office, like, yes, that is the right way to get it done is building it through the draft. But at this point, the Warriors an atypical situation to be able to find that many superstars or develop that many superstars in such a way that you've taken control over the league, right? Like like yeah. Golden State before Steph, before Clay, before Draymond. That's not to say that there weren't like you had the We Believe Warriors, like and you had like 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 little little pieces here and there since I've been alive. But for the most part, Golden State really arrives on the national scene again. They return there for the first time in 30 years or so because of them hitting not just home runs, grand slams with how their front office is able to get very, very, I don't want to say lucky because they took the chance ultimately on the picks they made. That's atypical, but that's what any franchise like the Pacers is hoping to be able to build, is build it organically because that's the only way you can to survive. Yeah, I even think a team like Boston – We've been hard on them, and rightfully so. They haven't played well. They're another team that has homegrown talent. And really, the year where it didn't really work out, the time where you're like wondering what they're doing is when they had Kyrie come in, and it Mm kind of just didn't go well. But they have their guys there, and it's worked out really well for them to this point. I know we'll look back at this season most likely as a failure, quite frankly. I don't think you can get swept in – the Eastern Conference Finals with that team. Maybe they can talk to Giannis so they can redefine what <laughs> failure means internally I mean, and figure it out. Call it whatever you want, but I don't <laughs> think you can, It's just the way that they've done it. Yeah. You know, the Lakers, you can call that a failure if you want to. That's fair. I mean, sweep is a sweep. They were in every game. And they started 2-10 and, and, and yeah, made it to and Western they, Conference Finals. And they had Finals a the weird seed. stat where it was something like, uh, I don't know if Eddie saw it, it was something like the Lakers lost like in total by as many points or, or roughly the same amount of points as Boston lost like in total of one game. <laughs> and so to me, that's the part where it makes it more of like, what are we doing? Because it feels like they were trending upward. LeBron and any run that they make now is like, is this the last one for Boston? You want to say like, we're going to be here every year. It doesn't feel like that. But even then, aside from everything I just said, they have two guys that they drafted that they believed in and who are, you know, I would – imagine our top 15 top 20 guys in the league and so um that's in my eyes the way the Pacers kind of have to go about these things is to seek out talent in the draft and hope that you hit on someone who is unbelievably good and and it happens every year you just hope that it happens your year with your player because I mean Johnny Flynn was drafted ahead of Steph Curry one spot you know and so these things you know, I believe Thomas Robinson was drafted before Damian Lillard. So these are things that, you know, kind of go through your head where you need a little bit of luck. Obviously, scouting department helps a lot with creating your own luck, but um, these are 
instances where you just hope that with this number seven pick, you get someone who not only helps you down the line, but has the potential to become another star next to Halliburton and potentially Matherin, too, if he takes another step forward next season. How different for you will the East look by the time training camp starts? Because we've talked about the opportunity that's present for a number of teams when you look at, let's just say, two through six that there's enough discussion, probably probably closer to three through six with what happens with Philadelphia, because Boston, you would think, unless they end up having a shakeup with, with Jalen Brown or they, they, they make a change in terms of where they're set up as a franchise, you would think at minimum Tatum's still there. Tatum is the piece they absolutely want to build around. I think in a perfect world, they're still keeping Brown and Tatum there, and they're they're working around it and making proper adjustments where they can. Should also be noted, their season isn't over just yet, they still have life, albeit on life support and not looking great. Season's not done just yet before we bury the Celtics, even though we all saw game three. We, we all saw what happened yeah. in the back half. And Charles Barkley and Shaq are making jokes about, uh, did you see them out there? They didn't lay down uh, post game without the type of performance that Boston put on. But that being said, when you look out east, you look at what's present right now. And you look at where the Pacers are at, knowing that, yes, they want to go get and solidify with a wing that can help this team. They want to be able to find the next piece they can build around within the draft that's going to be a part of this young core. Where are the possible avenues for growth for the Pacers where you could maybe knock a team or two out of that tier that is safely out of the play-in right now? I'm talking the likes of of New York. I'm talking uh, Cleveland. I'm talking just that middle-of-the-pack area. I'm not sure. I just know that it's going to look extremely different. You know, how good is Philly without James Harden? I'm not saying James Harden gets them a championship, but they do not make it that far without him. He had two incredible games to even get them, you know, uh, a chance against the Celtics. You look at what's going on with the Celtics themselves. Jalen Brown, are you sure they're going to give him a Supermax? Because if not, team looks a lot different. And as much as you want to say that they don't have enough, they certainly wouldn't have enough without an All-NBA player on their team. And so those are some of the scenarios that I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. And so for the Pacers, I think it's all about continuity and really making sure you get some players that obviously are wing players and post players that can defend. I have no issues with the Pacers scoring. No one does. They can score pretty well. They push the ball to a bunch of shooters, but to me it's what can you do on the defensive end, defense side of the ball, to give yourself a chance to win some of these games even when you don't have your best offensive stuff. Because some games, I'm not going to lie, it was like a shootout every time. And I'm like, you can't consistently win if you give up 120 points every game. And so I like the tempo that they play with. They have really fun offense to watch, and it is effective. But can you find a way to defend, to contend, and, and maybe knock a team out like the Bulls from the play-in? Um, you know, you look at teams like Atlanta. Could you take a, a jump on them, or or have a chance to just give your give your team and your players an opportunity to compete in the postseason? And I don't mean the play-in; I mean the playoffs. Same. And so I could see them trying to and, and having a tangible route to being better than like the Chicago's, the Atlanta's, the teams that are kind of teetering, don't really know what they're doing. If the Pacers figure out what they're doing and just hone in on that and go full steam ahead. 
this roster as a whole, we talk about it. Same thing with the Colts right now. There's there's potential there, right? There's potential at key spots. You're waiting to continue to see growth, and you're waiting to continue to see complementary pieces that are going to be brought in this offseason. But I'm with you. When I look at a guy like Tyrese Halliburton, when I look at, we talked to Chris Denary yesterday, the ways they were able to modify things with Miles Turner throughout the course of the season and the play across the board from this rookie class, it, it gives optimism in the same way that the Colts have to an extent right now with Anthony Richardson. But the Pacers are a step further in that process than Indianapolis is right now. They want this to be their last lottery year. They want to be able to have a core that they know they can continue to add to over the next couple of years. And hopefully, by the time it's all said and done, really compete and contend once again for the first time in a decade. I completely agree. And I think that they're hungry for it. Again, this isn't a team that's used to being in this position to begin with. I mean, the last time they had a pick as high as Matherin was before I was born. I'm 27. I'm not old, but for 27 years is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and so if it's longer than that, um, you start to wonder, you know, how Herb Simon feels about this whole thing. He doesn't want to see a team go out there and not really compete or have a chance to compete. And I don't think he would put a team out there that wouldn't do that. And so it feels like this is, this could be realistically their last chance to really get a lottery caliber player because barring injury, even this past season, they were not going to be in the lottery. And so I don't expect that to happen next year with another year of continuity. Tyrese Halliburton possibly getting even better. I think for him, it's all about strength and, and getting a little better on the defensive end. Benedict Matherin getting better. Miles Turner comes back another you know career year, then you have a chance to get back in the playoffs and potentially give yourself a shot to get out of the first round. And I think that you look at teams like the Knicks, Cleveland, these are teams that were all kind of desperate to do those things. And it may not have been the easiest you know, pathway for them, but it is possible if you can make the right steps this offseason. That's James Boyd. I am Jimmy Cook. We've got a great show for you today. Renus VK going to join us when we return. Also, Mike Chappell, Mark Slender, Elio Castroneves in a loaded show on a Tuesday here on the Fan Midday Show. But the man starting second for the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500 out of Ed Carpenter Racing, Renus VK, joins us next. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Fan Midday Show on a Tuesday. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison with us as well. 107th running of the Indianapolis 500 to take place on Sunday. Countdown is on inside of a week. Well inside of a week, in fact. We'll be out at Carve Day, a host of shows. The entire station, I beg your pardon, will be out there. You have Kevin and Query. Obviously, the Fan Midday Show will be out there. 
right at JMV as well, and just the the really the capper on what is the buildup and the anticipation and the adrenaline rush up until the 107th running. Renus VK going to join us here in just a second. We were joking a little bit about it during break, James, that for us mere mortals, <laughs> it is truly mind-boggling to know where the speeds were set to be able to get into that front row like VK was able to do. And the number of north of 230 miles an hour pretty much just isn't in the conversation of of good enough to be right at the tippy top. Yeah, that's pretty crazy to me. (laughs) And again, I'm very new to racing, but I was just telling Eddie this off air, ran track back in high school and you think, a second isn't that long or something like that. But then you realize how slim the margins are for time, for miles per hour. I mean, you know, Renus was points, I believe, zero zero six mm-hmm. back from, from Alex. And so, I mean, the margin for error in this sport is very slim. And it really can decide, you know, a lot of things as far as your position, where you start, um, how you finish, and then ultimately – where you uh, are when it comes to being a champion. And so I think that adds an extra layer of stress to it because any you know slight move here, slight move there, um, takes too long to refuel somewhere else you know, down the line. Like those things, to us, it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's lap 41, but it matters when you get down to the end. And so um, I'm really fascinated and excited to talk to Renus about just the psychology behind preparing yourself to go through not only the physical aspect of it, but the mental aspect and picking and choosing your spots to hopefully get the best result. If you were slower than 229.166 miles per hour was not good enough to be able to get you in the field. Uh, we, ju- we mentioned that a little bit at the start of the show that that was the boat that Graham Rahal was in, but Stefan Wilson forced to step aside due to injury. And so Graham Rahal now inserted back in. It has the field of, of 33 locked and ready to go. And and at this point, when, when you look up and down at just how grueling that process is, whether you are in Renus's standpoint where yeah, you're feeling like, oh, we were right there in terms of trying to capture a pull, but hey, we're in great position. We're in the front row, ready to get things started. Or, or if you're Graham Rahal, who is having interviews, he was on the morning show yesterday kind of talking about just the, the summary of it all, of missing out on it. And of course, you don't want, and he stressed this as well in the conversations that happened following his announcement of being back into the field, this isn't how you want to be in the field. Right. You would ideally like to have earned your way there and, and not have to fill in for somebody with injury. But the idea of seizing the moment and taking advantage of an opportunity, I mean, that's life. Like It presents a chance for you. You have to take it. I mean, Jimmy, the emotions that he must have gone through in what a 24, 28 hour window. I mean, I won't even say 48, 28 because it changed so much for him so quickly. And so um, I expect him to enjoy it, embrace it, because again, you're not at fault for stepping in when you're called upon. It's just a unique situation where these are the cards you got and you got to play them as best you can. And no one is going to be mad at you for going out there and doing something you love. And again, how many times will you have the opportunity to be a part of the Indy 500? And so that alone is an accomplishment. So anytime you can do that again, you you can't feel sorry for how you got there. You can acknowledge it. Obviously, we're respectful of the other drivers or the racers. 
who obviously put their bodies on the line as well, but embrace it, man, because that's really hard to do, to get there in any capacity. I mean, they're not calling on me or you, Jimmy, to to fill in. So you got to have some expertise and, and some type of character about yourself. You and I are not on that call sheet. I don't. I don't, I don't want to be. Is. I don't. I don't want to speak for him. Maybe, maybe he's towards the the bottom half of that. But uh, yeah, we, me and James are not on anywhere <laughs> near the call sheet of also availables for the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. I think. Uh, I think I got a call. I, I don't know. It was <laughs> from an un- unidentified number. I couldn't tell who it was. So I. I didn't, didn't answer. answer no voicemails left. Yeah, I know. I could have had my shot. I was there. a student loan servicer asking for the money back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might, might might have been a different call. You might need to, to check it on that and make sure that uh, everything is fine. We were joking in the elevator that because the NFL world is going to dive in. By the way, uh, Renus VK going to join us at twelve forty-five. So we'll that's my fault. We'll, 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 oh, that's totally fine. There's no, no no blame here. We'll just bump back. Uh, quick segment we'll have him around the corner but we were joking in the elevator today about two things and these are both national <laughs> stories that i know that you're going to hear these wherever you go listeners but uh, aaron rogers is it, hurt right there was a thought of aaron Rodgers being oh being gosh. hurt diana rossini's out there 46 minutes ago said he was off to the side favoring his ankle this at diana espn something clearly not right then eight minutes later rogers looking back trying to put some weight on it uh, he's with the team's head strength and conditioning coach and then three minutes after that Rodgers joins the rest of the offensive group no helmet that's been the last tweet that was sent by Dan Rossini so I ask you this James Zach Wilson time already (laughs) that's not the angle I'm going for but that very well could be the conversation of where things head throughout the summer story you're going to get sick of hearing faster this summer Aaron Rodgers every time something is tweaked (laughs) Or LeBron James will he or won't he retire? Because we heard the buzz last night. You and I were both still awake for those post-game press conferences. And the second LeBron was even a little bit hesitant about, uh, I don't know, I got, got a lot to think about. Got a lot to think about there. Uh, suddenly, it seemed like everybody else was awake and alive last night reacting to what is... I'm with you on this. I'd be stunned if it actually happens. But... For me, it's not like you made the point last night on Twitter about the money. Like money, money doesn't matter. He's got a lifetime deal with Nike. Like it's it to you and I matters a ton. To the everyman matters a ton. To him, that's not enough to draw him back. I do think though it is a ploy and gamesmanship on his part. Whether it is to force the front office of the Lakers into something, put pressure on them, something along those lines. Less about the fact that he'd be passing on ninety-seven million dollars over the next two years. Yes and no. I so which one of those, I guess, is are you tired of hearing? I will say <laughs> I'll lean toward LeBron just because we're getting into football season, so you do want to see guys out there. Sure. And so if Aaron Rodgers isn't competing or isn't available at the first week of OTAs, then obviously that's a story because he's one of the best players in the league and considering how much the Jets mortgage their future on him. I mean, it's not a similar thing with LeBron, but he's up in age. You bet the house on him, basically, to lead you to a championship. If you get that, great. If you don't, wow. Okay, like, where do you go from there? And my buddy Zach Rosenblatt, who covers the Jets for The Athletic, he's saying that Aaron Rodgers was 45 minutes ago off to the side, 40 minutes ago, comes back out without a helmet, might be done. And then Zach Zach Wilson is the first quarterback up in 707 drills. So 
it's probably something or nothing, but it's early. You know, if this is oh, it's always something, James. <laughs> oh, it's always something. <laughs> that is true with that quarterback. But you know, if this happens in August, then maybe you have a different view of it. But with LeBron, the reason I bring up the money, everyone always says it's about rich people. They don't care about money or they don't need the money, but they always take the money. Almost always. Always. Like, can you name me one NBA star in the last 15 years that retired before they got all of their money, but without playing out their contract? So as rich as LeBron is, he is not giving back $97 million. He's already had the Bronny James on my son thing going on. I think it's more of what you said where it's just leverage. So we'll see. We'll definitely have discussions on that in the coming months. Perhaps we'll get some uh, Aaron Rodgers alert music uh, ready to go as well in the coming weeks when big news like that breaks. Bigger news, bigger conversations to be had when we come back. Renus VK of Ed Carpenter Racing joins the fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison with us. Rolling along here on a Tuesday. We're joined now by Renus VK, the 2020 NTT IndyCar Series Rookie of the Year. He will start second in the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Renus, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing great. Doing great. Thank you so much for making time for us. Obviously, busiest week of the year for you guys. I want to dive right in we were joking before we went on the air that whenever I see smoke anywhere near my car and I'm just driving a residential vehicle, <laughs> uh, panic starts to set into my head. So take us through your your mindset, your team's mindset Sunday morning when you got a little bit of smoke billowing out of the back of the car and just the resolve of your team to get the car back in working order to be able to do what you did out in Qualls on Sunday. Yeah, that was uh, that was not ideal. <laughs> on, uh, on Sunday morning, yeah, we we. Actually, um, we opted to do um, the practice in the morning, which some guys did not do, which, you know, actually saved our full qualifying because we, we uh, diagnosed that problem and got the um, got the car back to running just before Fast 12 qualifying and then qualified in P2, which is by the little smallest margin possible. So, uh, no, very proud of the team. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, there was only one car running that day because uh, Ed and Connor, my teammates, were not in the fast twelve, but they um, like their crews were working as hard as they could to make to get my car back in, in one piece. So that no, was a great job by them. Renus, we saw the margin between you and Alec. You touched on it there, saying it's the smallest ever, really possible. Um, how do you one, you know, take that in, and then number two, build on it because it is still a good position to be in heading into the five hundred. Yeah, it was 
it's definitely a small margin, but you know, it doesn't starting first or second doesn't give uh, um, doesn't give you a bigger bigger chance of winning the race. I think if you start thirty thirty third, you can still win it. So uh, anyway, I think uh, I think it'll take the nerves off a little bit for the race. So it might still be a positive thing. Renus, when you look at everything that your team has done so far in the early goings of the season, you've mentioned in the past that right now the opportunity in front of you at the 500 really can be a turning point for you and your team. Uh, what's been the biggest areas of, of focus for you over the last couple of weeks getting ready for this race, knowing that it can really be a jumping point for you towards the, the second half of the IndyCar series? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there's a lot of focus that goes into the race, not only me, but also in the team. And, um, and I've been just watching a lot of video from, from previous years and watching previous race, uh, years, um, Indy 500 races. And I've spent a lot of time also on, with Chevy on the simulator to actually, uh, dial stuff in. And, you know, now it's four Chevys also in the fast six. So that's, that's great. But, um, no, I just spend a lot of time preparing for this race, and you know, there's still going to be stuff that's gonna gonna catch that's gonna catch me off guard in this race because it's any 500, but it's still, uh, yeah, very exciting. Renus, how do you find that balance between you want to be as prepared as possible, but obviously you want to go into it as loose as possible? So, how do you find that time to unwind if you are able to unwind? You know, this week. Um. Well, my family's go, my family's here now, my parents, but also my sister and my girlfriend are coming uh, on Thursday, so I'm going to spend some time with them and, you know, uh, not think about racing for, for a day. And whenever I can, I go for a run, actually, on the IMS golf course because I'm staying at the racetrack. But uh, no, it's nice to just kind of get out of that atmosphere sometimes. Renus, to switch sports for just a second, People always talk about in golf when you're playing Augusta National and playing the Masters, how hard it is for first-time players of that course to be able to get a handle of it, to be able to get a, a feel for all the different nooks and crannies and advantages of how to play it. I feel like drivers in the past, it's been a similar aspect of the challenge of IMS and getting used to it as a first-time driver. For you, obviously, that's not the case. This is year four for you. What do you build on from past experiences, and why is it such a daunting task for younger drivers as they get a feel for the oval? It's just such a crazy track, and it's the longest race for us in the in the in the calendar. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, it's just tough. The racing is fast, but very very close to other cars, and uh, of course, there is the biggest crowd in the whole calendar. Uh, that's that's in the stands, so you also feel you feel all the eyes just looking at you. Renus, for you, I know we talk so much about preparing the car, preparing your race strategy, but how do you prepare your body? You know, to put yourself through those things because, as me and Jimmy have joked about, you're not driving. You know like my Honda Civic <laughs> driving uh, uh, something that's that's moving pretty fast, and obviously uh, there's a lot of physical toll that you know weighs into that. Yeah, no, I. Um you know, when I'm not racing, I'm I'm really working out every day. So um, it's something I take very seriously. And actually, the Indy 500 is the least physical race mm. because you get all these straightaways. But mentally, it's the it's the hardest race. So I I feel like mentally, it's uh, it's the most important to, to be uh, to be just very prepared. 
You mentioned that for you off the track, you, you really like to bike, you like to cycle. You mentioned obviously being here at Indy for the race itself, but but across the board, whether it's in Indy, whether it's worldwide, where's been some of the favorite spots that you enjoy getting out there and cycling, or is it just in general the process of of taking your mind off being in a two hundred thirty mile power vehicle and just, you know, <laughs> being on a bike instead? Um, yeah, and I think it's just nice to kind of uh you know, um be be in that zone uh well now i'm i'm, I'm actually afraid to bike during this month so I'm sure 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 <laughs> don't want to fall but i mean like that runner's high you know that just um kind of forgetting about all the stuff that's going on and just just be in nature for a second Renus, for you this month obviously in other racers and drivers as well this is the pinnacle so to speak so how do you enjoy it i know you're so locked in as a competitor but is there ever a moment where you're like man this is the dream i'm actually doing something that very few are able to do and a lot of people dream about doing oh definitely no it's uh it's um it's very special and i remind myself of that a lot and also my parents they 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 keep me uh with both feet on the ground so um no it's just very very special and you know it's still um you know, I still stay um uh, just stay stay grounded and, and see what, what we're actually doing, you know. I'm, I was bummed that I qualified second by the such a small margin in the uh, in qualifying, but come on, I've qualified second for the eighty five hundred. <laughs> it's so special. Redis, I know this is a weird question to ask, but before we let you go, our producer, Eddie Garrison, is great at handicapping this race. He's done pretty well for himself the last couple of races. Uh, for me and James, we're, we're, we're diving in as as as, uh, as, as novice from a, from a selection standpoint of who to pick to win this race as anybody else. So for you, obviously you want to win the, win the race and in your heart of hearts, you believe you're going to win the race, but why should we hitch our wagon to the Renus VK camp this Sunday? Well, you know, I, I race for the local team ECR at Carpenter Racing, and um, no, I got a I got a good I got a good team boss that um, that gives me a lot of tips. He has finished second a few times, and uh, yeah, you know, I'm a young guy, very very eager to win, and I think uh, starting from P2, you know, I can really uh, give it a shot. Well, we wish you all the best out there. We we love Ed as well. Looking forward to talking to him a little bit later in the week. I know this is a very, very busy week for you guys. Thank you for making time for us, Renus, and good luck on Sunday. Yeah, thank you very much. That's Renus VK. Again, he'll be slotted second for the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500 for Ed Carpenter Racing. And as James gasped a little bit, which is the circle of life, it is what it is, even as James and I approach 30, whenever you see a driver that's able to go as fast as Renus does and then look at the bio and... 22 years old. It's, it, it, it comes for us all, James. Oh my even, even, even in the late 20s, you look down, you saw the 2000 year on that birthday, and you were like, whoa. Man, and I think, so I bought my first car at 22, and we paid off actually next month. But it's just funny that, you know, this guy has got a career in racing, and I was just trying to figure out how to get some wheels, not to race, just to get to the grocery store and the gym and things like that. So um, happy for him, and it'll be cool to see him not only have this experience for himself, but for his family, as he yep. said. And I think the point about having your parents kind of keep you grounded is very real. They can kind of tell you, hey, you're doing pretty good, kid. So um, it'll be exciting to see him get out there and have a shot to, to win a race that obviously involves a lot of strategy, both from a 
mechanical standpoint, physical standpoint, and mental standpoint. First of many drivers here on the Fan Midday Show throughout the week. Still to come, Elio Castroneves, bottom of the 2 o'clock hour. But when we return, the Dean, Mike Chaffel, Fox 9 and CBS 4, will join us. Get us our dash of Colts here on Tuesday on the Fan Midday Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Back here in the DriveHubler.com studio, I'm James Boyd here with Jimmy Cooks, Eddie Garrison. You're listening to 107.5 The Fan, midday show. We have the Dean, Mike Chapel on the line. Mike, we got OTAs this week. What excites you the most about possibly seeing who's running with the ones? Will it be Gardner Minshew? Will it be Anthony Richardson? Will it be both? Yeah, I think that it's funny. All the time that we've spent out there so far, we're only – being given the information that the team wants you to have. I mean, sort of, we've asked Shane Steichen a few times about who's doing this and who's doing that. He just, well, we're not going to talk positional stuff. Well, now we get a chance to see it on our own. And you're right. I'm curious how we're going to see how they're divvying up the the reps uh, at quarterback. And there's very little reason to me for the team to hide anything. So I think what we see is what we're going to see. It's, it's this is how they're running practice. Is it is it fifty fifty? Is Richardson getting more? So that's that's really important because again, this is if we're to take what they say that reps are important and you know it's reps, reps. Well, then the the, the rookie's got to get his reps. So I want to see that. And number two, I want to see if Shaq's practicing at some level. I mean, I'm not saying you know full bore because. You know these aren't full bore practices, but is he doing something? And we're we're not we're going to have questions about Shaq until we see him practicing day after day after day and playing. So those are the the two main things that I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Shaq. I know JT. The last time we talked to him as well, Jonathan Taylor, he was not fully cleared. So we'll see if he's out there and active. But for Shaquille. If he isn't, you know, doing much, does that change your outlook for the season at all, Chap? Or are you just going to kind of wait and see what it looks like come training camp and preseason? Yeah, I mean, the the, the knockdown date to me is training camp. You know, if, if, if he would be like on Pup or he's not quite ready and then maybe after a week or two, I think that's a concern. It just is when you consider that by the end he's going to be, gosh, nine months removed from surgery, eight or nine months from surgery when we get to late July, if my math's right. I think he got his surgery in November. But I, I keep trying to compare, and it's wrong, I keep comparing his rehab now to his rehab last season. 
and again, that's wrong because everyone's admitted that he 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 came back too quickly last year. I think everybody has admitted that because they just didn't know and Shaq wanted to play as you can expect. So they're being really, really cautious, I guess is the right word. But at some point, I mean, he's got to practice and practice without, you know, any, any uh, I guess, pitch counts or whatever. And, and we're not at that point now. Teams always, always err on the side of caution with rehabbing players. We may not see JT out there doing much. You'd like to see him doing something. Uh, I'm probably more concerned or curious on Shaq than I am JT, only because we're we're dealing with a second back surgery and we're, you know, we're well past what his rehab was last year. You know, even if, if they hurried him back to play, he was probably not too far ahead as far as practicing. He was probably about the right time, but I really want to see where he is. And if he's not out there, am I, am I super concerned? No, but I would, I would feel much better if he's doing something. So those are the main things. And know, by the way, who's right guard? I assume it's Will Fries. <laughs> but, but you know, the corners, you want to know who the corners are? Well, Juju Brents isn't practicing, so we're not, not really going to know there. But quarterback reps and Shaq and JT, you're right, are probably my three top uh, curiosity pieces. Chap, I don't think that Shaq Leonard lied to anybody last season. I think he was truly honest when he said he felt like he was going to be able to come back or he felt like he was going to be ready to go. And obviously, some missteps along the way and and, and really a lost season for the most part. Are we at a point with him over this really 18 to to 19 month span or so of, of dealing with injury and trying to rehab back where you almost have to see him on the field week one at 100% before we're ready to think that this is behind him? Well, you had to see him active. <laughs> I mean, on, on the active <laughs> roster, certainly. Right. I mean, I, I don't know how, you know, I, I don't know that I'm expecting him to go out there against Jacksonville and have 16 tackles. Sure, I don't sure. know if I'm there yet. But but you need to see more than, okay, in the opener it's 10 plays, and then next week it's, 16 plays, and then we're going to build up to a half. I don't want to see that. I think that would be concerning only because it didn't, you know, the first one didn't work for whatever reason. I assume it's because he heard her heard back, but even that, he wasn't feeling the sensation and the strength in his leg, so the, maybe the surgery itself didn't work. But, again, it, it's it's a back injury with nerves, and it's it's pretty bad when you're almost wishing it's a patella or an ACL because backs are just, I mean, they're just funky things to deal with. So I don't know what the level would be when the season starts. But, boy, I want, I want to see him practicing. I'd love to see it, I'd, even if it's limited, if he's out there not and not just with a baseball hat on and, you know, the, the coach slash cheerleader. Uh, just doing something, and, and he really didn't give us much of an update when we talked to him earlier. I, I don't think he did. So, you know, you, you just want to see him play because that's what he is. We've seen too much of the standing around, and that's not a criticism. That, that's just what his body wouldn't allow him to do. So practice a little bit in OTAs. Practice, you know, in training camp and be ready to play at some level in September, because until 
we get through those stages and he's playing consistently, you're always going to have concerns. I mean, why wouldn't you have concerns? We're listening to and talking to Mike Chappell, covers the Colts for Fox 59. Chap, another player I'm interested in seeing later this week is Michael Pittman Jr., the player who may have been affected the most these last two years with the quarterback position. He's obviously in a contract extension situation. Do you expect him to be extended before the season, or is that something we'll have to monitor throughout? I don't think, personally, it's as no-brainer of a call as it is with Jonathan Taylor. No, I agree. And to me, that's because of the magnitude of the contract. I can I can say JT is a little more of a no brainer because it's not going to be twenty million dollars a year, you know, over four or five years. It's not going to be these. This, this, it's going to be a good contract. It's going to be I don't know twelve or thirteen million dollars a year, which is a darn good con. That's your kind of money, James. I need but, it, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and and we and we, we when we sit out there at the press room and just shoot the ball, it's always. You know where does he? You know where does he rank in the in the league? Is he a top fifteen guy? I don't know. Is, is he legitimate number one? And I don't know how you tell anything on his progress based on last year. I just don't. I, mean, I agree with you. He he was the most impacted player as far as being able to do what he could do. It's really hard in this league. Really, really hard in this league to catch ninety nine passes and not get a 1,000 yards. I mean, it's been done like four times and mostly by a running back because of, of how they are used in the offense. So they just couldn't do use him how they needed to, and to a lesser degree, Alec Pierce. But, but Pittman Moore, and how do they value him with the team, which very highly, but then how do you equate that with – market value and mm-hmm. what you're willing to invest. I think it's really intriguing. We've been talking about this on this show and, and with, with JMV for the last year. You know, I think JT is an easier one. It's obvious that the owner really likes JT. I mean, and we saw what they could do, what he could do healthy. But running backs, you know, the, the shelf life isn't as long. That's why maybe a three-year deal for him makes sense. Receivers are different, and we've seen how the receiver market has just skyrocketed. It's not going to slow down. Get a couple of these Cincinnati guys getting their contracts and see where the market is. So I'm really, I really don't know. It, it makes sense to, to, to re-sign your own, but when you're talking those levels of contracts, it really makes it difficult. I would like to, I'd like to know from Chris Ballard and his personnel staff how they value Michael Pittman regarding budget and the rest of the league. It's it's really an interesting question. When you look at Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor, and I know that I am simulating an entire season here, chap, because this is something they'd be doing next offseason, but if you were far apart with both of them on contracts, my lean would be you would give the tag to Jonathan Taylor if need be, if it came down to that. Are, Are you in a similar boat in that? Or like you mentioned with how expensive receivers can get and how valuable they are, especially for a young quarterback, just as valuable as having a rusher like Taylor in the backfield to be to Anthony Richardson's development. Do you think it goes the other way, or would Jonathan Taylor be the best case for a tag if, again, a big if, a contract could not get sorted out between now and then? I mean, it may be one of those where you sign one and tag the other. Right. 
And, and from the tag point point of view, again, it's, it's going to be more beneficial to tag a receiver because because it's going to be I don't know what the tag will be next year twenty million, and a tag for running back might be I just haven't seen looked at the number right, 10 right, or eleven right. or twelve or thirteen million whatever it'll be. So, but uh, you, you've got it makes no sense to, to to rebuild whatever the word we want to use rebuild reboot whatever it is your team with a young quarterback and then not keep your skill people around him. Young skill people, JT and Pittman, you know, Pittman's not, is not that old. Right. So that's ideally what you do is again, it just, it just comes down to how you value him, you know, at your position and, 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 you know, if, if it will cost 15 million, of course you do it, but that's, that's not even in the conversation. For, for, for Pittman, so I would say if it comes down to it, you you sign JT because you can it, it's going to be more affordable, and then you you tag Pitt, which would probably piss you know Pittman off, I would think. But it, it's that that's the tough you know roster shuffling that you've got to do, and it, it's and and this is the good product product byproduct of hitting on your draft picks when you hit on them. And you're right, which is great for four years, and then you got to pay them. You know, we can argue till Helfrich is over about re-upping Quentin Nelson at that size, but but that's that's what you do, and, and that's you really hit on Pittman and JT. Well, that's fine, but now you got to pay them. So I'm really really curious. I, I think you try to do what you can to to to, to resign them and retain them because they're young players and. You just don't get rid of good players. You just don't. It's not that easy to, to replace a Michael Pittman. I realize receivers have been coming out of the woodwork in the draft, but boy, when you got a guy that's got his skills, the size he is, he yes, he lacks, I don't know, deep speed, I guess, whatever. But he's been pretty good. And you did a great disservice last year with your quarterback play. But I would try to move heaven and earth to re-sign those two guys just because they're your guys. And it makes sense to re-sign your own. If you don't re-sign Pitt, then what? You, you get another um, second-round draft pick. You get, that, 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 what? What evidence have we seen that they're going to go assign a veteran receiver at a big price? Well, they're not going to do that. So if you're going to pay a big number for a receiver, I guess pay your own. Chap, moving back to the quarterback position. Obviously, we will not know this for a few months now, but. If we go through OTAs, training camp, preseason, and Gardner Minshew is clearly the better quarterback, do the Colts have an obligation to start and play the better player? That's a really good question. To me, there's going to be no question that he's going to be the more ready guy to play. He's a veteran. He's played in this offense. I mean, it's going to be a crime if he's not. Clearly, clearly, I hate to use the word clear, that he's the better guy. Now, I guess whatever the, the gap between he and Richardson is will determine that. But I, I get your point. If I'm this this veteran team, and I keep using the term rebuild, which is probably not true because they kept – there's a lot of veterans on this team, and they, they signed a few guys that this isn't a tank season at all. So if I'm a veteran guy, I want the quarterback – who gives me the best chance to win this year, not preparing him for 2024. So, you know, and, and 
I would assume that Minshew is going to give you a better chance right out of the gate just because he's been there and, you know, he knows what to expect and there's not going to be too many surprises. And everything that Richardson sees over the first month of the season is going to kind of be brand new to him. You, you can only do so much in practice and even preseason games. That's a really good question. I, I Again, I think Minshew will be more ready to, to play to start. But if Richardson is close, I, I think you may start him. Because I, I mentioned this before, that if you don't think that Richardson is ready, it's going to be really hard once the season gets going to give him the necessary reps in practice during the week preparing for Houston and the Rams and everybody on. It's really hard once the season gets going to give the backup or the young rookie the necessary reps to get better because you got to prepare your starter. So it, that, that's a great question, and I don't know. I They clearly want Richardson to, to play sooner rather than later, but it's really going to tell on how far along he is. If he's close, if he's got the protections down and they've simplified the offense enough, I think he plays, but – I don't know. If, maybe we will be able to tell that during practices at, at training camp. We won't tell that much in OTAs, but in training camp we will. And maybe in the preseason games when he's out there, we will. If he's close, he plays. If he's not close, you can't. It's a disservice to the team to play him because of what of the impact of this year. And I'm not going to get into the impact. Of, well, you need to position yourself for next year's draft. That's a story for October, November, we can get into. Chap, I'm not interested in having a conversation, much like you just said, like to you took the words right out of my mouth. I'm not interested in having a conversation about planning for next year's draft. That's not the mindset in that building. That's not the mindset, in theory, with most NFL franchises. Where my issue is, and I get it, you want to keep veterans happy, and they don't want to be a part of a rebuild, but like, maybe I'm being too simplistic on this, and this is why it wouldn't work in an NFL front office. They're not winning anything next year. Like, like maybe they could steal the South and like make a little bit of noise if they were to get there. But they're not a legitimate contender, regardless of Jim Irsay's tweets to win a Lombardi Trophy. So for me, that's that's a preamble to lead into this question, which is that to me, the only reason you start Minshew is if Richardson truly isn't ready, or there's something that you see in his game that would lead you to believe throwing him out there as a rookie would hurt his development. It can't be that, well, Minshew gives us a shot to win two more games that we were going to win before, right? Well, I, 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 I get that, but doggone, look at the schedule. And, and it's bad. It, yeah, it, I know. <laughs> it, 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 it's, win, it, it, it's doable. It's sure. Still, it's doable. Sure. So, I, it, but what does it say to the rest of the, the locker room? Right. It's all about earn your way. So what's it tell the locker room if, if it's clear that Richardson's not ready, but he'll benefit from playing? So, so how do you how do you you know might you lose part of the locker room if you if you're playing a guy who is not ready and he's going to make mistakes, but he's going to get better and all this? I just think it's it's you know, they're not going to you know reduce season ticket prices for the first eight games, you know four games at home because. Sure. Well, the kid's learning, and it's not going to be the top product. So I still think – I look at this, doggone it, as chaotic as last year was, and it was a it was a dumpster fire. They should have won eight games. 
They, they should have won eight games changing nothing except like four plays. Yeah, and that's not a stretch at all. That's how close, even as chaotic as last year was, that's how close they were to winning the AFC South. And, yes, it's great to have a number four pick or a higher pick. It is. It is. That's how you get difference-making players. But, boy, I tell you, making the playoffs and being a factor, and it's just different. It, 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 it's a different level of buzz around the building. And so if Minshew is clearly better and gives him a better chance, which, again, he will, clearly, he'll be better, more prepared. But if Richardson's not ready, you don't play him because you know he'll get better by week eight. I go back to Peyton Manning's rookie year, and he didn't play very well. His quarterback rating was like 54 for the first month of the season. It was awful. But, boy, the Frisco game midseason, it clicked, and you could tell it was something special. But I just don't know how they do it this year if if, if Richardson is simply not ready and it's clear he's not ready. I just don't think he plays. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think he's going to show good development development, and being ready and understanding things. I think he'll be close to being ready. And if you're close to being ready, I think he plays. If he's not and it's obvious, you can't put him out there. Would your answer change if the diagnosis was he's not ready because he needs reps? Like, not that he's not understanding the offense or not understanding how to pick up blitzes or not understanding how to audible into different checks. If it's just a matter of he's not ready because he needs reps, that would still be an avenue to think, okay, well, there's going to be growing pains, but we don't want to kick the can another year and then have the growing pains next year when you could have him this year to have him learn on the fly, if it is a repetition issue, that changes the conversation a bit, though, right? Well, but it's going to be a repetition issue because right. he's played he's played thirteen games. But when you say not so, ready, what, what what do you mean? Like he's he's having he's behind. He's clearly a step behind with learning right. Shane Steichen's offense. He, he he can't he can't make okay. the, the blocking checks of the offensive line, and he doesn't quite have the offensive down. And I don't think that's going to be the issue. Sure, this is a a smart kid. He knows what he's doing. I think he's a quick learner from what we've seen and from talking to him. So I don't, that's why I said, I don't think it's going to be a case of this kid's lost. He has no idea what we're doing. You know, he's calling plays in the huddle that we don't know where the hell they come from. I don't think that's the case. That's why I say, I really think he'll, he'll be the starter. Cause I think, cause it makes no sense that if he's got the offense down, he's got the protection down and he's, and he's, I, I guess, intellectually ready to play. I think you play him, but again, if he's not, if he if he doesn't really know, if he's not comfortable and confident in what he's doing, you're doing a disservice to everybody. But uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a tough balance because I say I, I keep coming back to the, the thing that Minchu will be ready to play. He just will be, and by that and on, I guess a byproduct of that is he'll be more a better option of you winning consistently early. But, but if if the kid is knows what he's doing, can 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 run the position and be productive and you know limit the turnovers, then you play him, and, and that will be. Maybe you're going to lose a couple of games you you would have won with Minshew, but that's the price you pay for making this transition. As long as long as Richardson can handle the position and it's not too big for him. 
And I think you find that out kind of quick. You can find that out in the preseason, that he's out there against Buffalo or, or whatever, and it's just, he's just slow. He, and not, not slow on his feet, but slow processing. I think you'd find that out. But I, I just don't think it's going to be the case. The decision they're going to have is start the quarterback who's more ready, which is Minshew, or start the quarterback who's your future, and he's pretty close to being ready. So I, I, it's a tough decision, but if, it, if it's close, you start the rookie. Chap, to pivot this conversation in a different direction, the last number four pick the Colts had was Edge. And he was uniquely himself. He was different. He talked different, looked different, all of the above. How do you think a guy like him can kind of show Anthony Richardson the blueprint of how to just be himself? Because quite frankly, he does not look like Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck, doesn't talk like them, probably doesn't have the same background as far as being, you know, elite quarterbacks in college and things like that. So how do you think being himself and maybe – cultivating or creating an environment around him to allow him to grow um, in himself will help him develop on the field. Yeah, and that's a good point. And it was interesting that Edge was in the building when, when Richardson showed up. I, I don't know why he was here, whether it was something else or whatever. But I know Edge has a relationship with Richardson and his family. And I still say Edge is, is my, my most favorite cult because he did it his way. And, and I remember when he came in after a year or two, and he's got the dreads, he's got the gold teeth, and he's got the South Florida way about him, the lingo and all that stuff. And I remember one time just casually talking, I said, Edge, you realize that if you changed your appearance to some level, the the type of, you know, in uh, uh, of the uh, – advertising revenues you might get. And he, he said, I don't care. He said, then I'm not me. So what, whatever you thought about Edger, and he was himself all the way through. He wasn't going to change for anybody. And it's funny. It's one thing about a quarterback and another about a running back being ready to play. Edge didn't need training camp. He, he didn't have training camp. He just went out and played. <laughs> and he, won, you know, he, he went out for his first preseason game against the Saints and had like, six carries for 70 yards and two touchdowns. And he thought, man, this is easy. And he, he used to tell people, he said, man, this is so easy. We, we only play once a week and we're preparing all week. We know what they're going to do. But I think what he can tell Richardson is be yourself, be true to yourself. When you start changing, I think people around you and you, especially your teammates, they, they recognize that. And your teammates want is just – you know, be authentic and, and be yourself because players detect BS real quick. And, you know, if you're not you, you who are you? And you're either a leader or you're not, and you really can't fake that. Ed's never tried that. I don't think we're going to see Richardson change at all, appearance or anything. It, this is, But you're right. This is a totally different face of the franchise in, in, in so many ways from Peyton and Andrew and and now Richardson. And the offense is going to be diametrically opposed to what Peyton ran and even what Luck ran more so, more so Peyton because of, of the drop back part and all that stuff. But you got to be yourself. And because when you're not, I've been around guys and not a lot of them, but they're just trying to be something they're not. 
and it comes off really poorly, and teammates detect that real quick. He'll be himself, and he'll he'll excel because he stays who he is. That's Mike Chap, Fox 59 Colts reporter. Chap, always glad to have you on. You take it easy, and I will see you later this week. Make sure you have your sunscreen out there, young man. I don't need I don't Stay need hydrated, Chap. I, I, I've been around a long time. And eat your vegetables as well. <laughs> yeah, not much chance of that. <laughs> Thanks, Chap. See you Thursday. That was, again, Mike Chap. He covers the Colts for Fox 59. Great guy. Always a pleasure to have him on with his insight. Jimmy, you heard from him. There's a lot to be dissected with this quarterback position. Another layer of that starts later this week. I want to dive into that conversation further regarding Minshew and Richardson and, and the conversation we had with Chappie. I want to open that up to the three of us a little bit because there's a couple different philosophical avenues the Colts can go on. And boy, if, if it's Minshew just for the sake of keeping veterans happy, that, that that's not going to fly. So we'll discuss that a little bit when we come back here on the Fan Midday Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison. Having drivers on throughout the week. One of our favorite conversations. The legend himself. The four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. Elio Castroneves. Nice enough to take some time with us. Elio, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Better now. Always good to get an opportunity to catch up with you. Uh, main area I want to start with today is there's always discussions of of how rookies and first-time drivers approach the Oval and, and the challenges that are there. For you, your first start out of the gate is your first of four wins at the Indy 500. I know we're all going back in the, the time machine back to 2001, but, but, but take us through that first one and why in the years that have followed or why over the course of time, usually for first time drivers at the Indy 500, what you did is so hard to do. Well, imagine we're talking about over, this is going to be the 107th edition uh, of this race, meaning it's over a hundred years old, obviously. And it's incredible how competitive becoming over the years. And, um, and obviously it's, uh, it's, it, it's getting more and more competitive. So my first win off, it was interesting because I was here. I didn't know much about the history of this place. And uh, when I, uh, I just, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have uh, Instagram back then. I was a bunch of other things that we didn't have it. So I had to find a way to, how am I going to understand what I need to do? So talk a lot with uh, Rick Mears, Alan, the senior, uh, uh, John Rutherford. I mean, all of them. I spoke with AJ Foy, but I couldn't understand much what he was telling me. So <laughs> all of this, 
Yeah, we did it. I did it. And you know what? It paid off because every single comment those guys did, it, it helped me out. Uh, but today, because everything is so wide, wide open, everybody can see everything. You know, it's becoming more competitive because now they understand. But it's still, you have have the great team. You still have the great car. And you got to position yourself at the right time. Elio, for you, having done this year after year, putting your body mind through it what keeps the fire burning in your belly and you know is part of that trying to stay you know at the top of your game in a sport that obviously lends itself in any sport really towards the younger you know participants well the reason it goes like that like i mentioned uh the experience now all of a sudden because of the simulators that we have these days it's obviously not real, but it's very close to real. Um, um, uh, and and again, it it just bring that advantage that you have, you know, closer and closer. But what I like it, it's it's the challenge. It's the it's the, you know the situation that you. I know I can do it. And not only that, it's funny when you have your computer. You know how many times you have to download a new update <laughs> and. and to make it better, right? So it's the same thing. You gotta put yourself in this situation to update yourself, make yourself better, and keep pushing. So that's what motivates me to keep it going. And and and, and its quest for the number five would be always in my mind. Elio Castroneves and Meyer Shank Racing. Nice to take some time with us. The four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. You mentioned all the legends that you spoke with as a rookie, trying to get a feel for the challenges at IMS. For you now. Obviously, the accolades are there, but being as experienced as you are, what is the the number one question or one of the most asked questions that you get from first time, second time, third time drivers trying to get a feel or a crash course on what the Speedway will challenge them with? Well, they ask me several things. Why do I my line, the way I do my line? And they come by, why are you doing that? It's like, I don't know. I just feel comfortable <laughs> running where I'm running. I, 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 it's not that I want to run out there. Don't don't get me wrong. And so things like that, um, uh, they ask me. Uh, and 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 obviously when we have our meetings, they they listen to what I'm saying, and I I, I can see that they are uh, they want to extract every single information to benefit them. So I have to be careful what I say too, because otherwise I still in the game. Sure. You know, I can't tell him I can't share much with those guys. You know what I mean? Elio, what has it been like to see Alex Pelot kind of take his leap, and what do you think it does for the sport to have sort of that fresh blood in there? I know you're still there. Don't have don't have any plans on leaving, but um, to be still in this game and to see you know sort of the next wave um, usher themselves in. Well, I'll be honest with Alex, very happy for him, um, you know, uh, not only for all the drama that happened last year, it was about this time, right, um, that uh, he rumored he was going to McLaren and things like that, and he handled really well. And not only that, he, he's able to prove uh, that he has a strong mind and ready to um, continue his quest to, uh, to becoming one of the drivers here um, uh, that will for sure be remember what he did as uh, as Saturday or or Sunday uh, in uh, qualifying it was incredible. The team is great. Great uh, props to the team to give him an excellent car. Um, and and again he he keeps 
he's the one that, that was fighting with him in 2021, and he does have this speed. So last year we actually got together in the race as well. I, he was right there with me and uh, in the top 10. So yeah, it would be interesting. I told him as soon as he, as soon as he finished the pole position, I I congratulate him and said, "Don't worry, I'll see you. I'll see you in the end of the race." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I will. So it's great, great to uh, to have a new generation as well, international coming over, and, and he's such a nice guy too. Elio, there's no secret sauce to winning this race. And even if there was, you, you've already joked with us a little bit, you wouldn't give it to us uh, as we're so <laughs> close to the 107th running. But with all that goes into it, how much of it is that combination of right place, right time, being fully focused to take advantage of your opportunity whenever it arrives, and just all the, the thought and the time and effort that your team and your engineers put in through the entirety of that race? Well, it's a lot. I mean, uh, you can only do so much. I mean, uh, look, just let's go with the qualifying. I, I didn't have a lap for, for the 233 or 234. It's it, not even 35. I mean, it, it, so it shows there is so much you can do with a car these days. You know, the secret, uh, obviously, we'd like to know, but with McLaren and Ganassi, those guys are being uh, super fast. And as they keep adding cars, they're, they just increase their uh, potential to be in the right place on the right time. Now, saying that doesn't mean that it's going to happen, right? Because last year, remember, they, uh, they were the fastest guys, or Dixon was the fastest guy, and look what happened. So things can happen even with those guys, the big team. So that's why you can never stop working and finding the directions that you put yourself in. And I tell every time that to my team, uh, uh, don't worry, you know, it will come. If you go away from us, you will come from us to us uh, eventually because it's not a sprint race. This is a sort of long race, six pit stops, and uh, anything can happen. Elio, there are going to be a lot of young kids, obviously, at the track to see you all perform. And... My question is, how has your career in this sport maybe shaped how you view teamwork? You know, a lot of kids might play basketball, football, whatever, and it's more visible to see the teamwork in real time, the coaching in real time. But for you, um, it's a little bit different, obviously, and the praise is a little bit different. You know, when you win, I know you congratulate everyone who's worked with you, your engineers, your coaches, and things like that. But how has teamwork really defined what you've been able to do? Oh, in any place, uh, but especially in racing, you don't have good pit stops. You don't have good mechanics to 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 build the car and be reliable when you go out there. You won't be even if you don't have engineers. Especially these days, that the car is being so it's so it's basically the same from a few years ago. Um, everybody already knows, as I mentioned, sort of the secret. So if you don't have those in sync, forget it. You won't be able to uh, uh, to potential show what you, you can. Like, don't get me wrong, but we unfortunately didn't have the results that we won on the beginning of the season. And uh, we're really pushing hard. But it's obviously something there is still not connected. And uh, But we keep striving, pushing, and finding that little detail, which you, it's sometimes it's just one click that we don't know where it is, but you will you will make it happen. So it is it is 
percentage-wise, I always say 50-50 because uh, they, without their car, we won't be able to do it. Without a good driver, also, you won't be able to do it. Elio, I'll be honest, you don't have to work very hard to sell me to pick you to win the 107th <laughs> running of the Indianapolis 500 as a four-time winner, yeah. as being the as being the you know, constant throughout my life of, of, of growing up here in Indianapolis, your name is, is synonymous with the Indy 500 and with IMS. But for James here, if you were trying to sell James <laughs> on why to pick you for, to win the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500, what would be your pitch to him for why you can get it done and complete the drive for five on Sunday? Well, remember when I mentioned you got to update your computer? Yes. I just got my 4.8 uh, computer update, so um, I'm um, I'm <laughs> I'm a little more older, I'm a little more experienced, and I'm ready to uh, teach these kids how to drive in this place. Um, the 4.8 sounds pretty good, so I'm gonna have to. I'm sold. I'm sold. <laughs> well, we look forward to it, Elio. Thank you so much for taking the time with us, and we'll be right there with the drive for five on Sunday. All the best, fellas. Thank you. Celio Castroneves, the four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500 out of Meyer Shank Racing. You've had two drivers. You're 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 at a disadvantage unless you decide to take the cop-out route of I'll text you guys on Friday <laughs> when I decide who I'm going to take. But uh, you have you, you have the four-time winner. Elio Castroneves, you have a driver on the rise. It's Hungary and Renus VK. Have you been sold on one or another yet of uh, who you might take to win the 107th running? I like Elio. I'll go that route. Because I'm always like this with any sport. I love to see the older guy or girl or woman, rather, hold on. Sure. And kind of, you know, assert their dominance and say, not yet, you know, young pup. And so (laughs) it would be cool to see him do that, obviously, to cement himself and put himself in a place that no one else has been as a five-time, you know, 500 winner. So... That would be really cool, and I'm learning as I go, but I'm learning that he's obviously pretty good at what he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, last year, long. he started 27th, he finished 7th. This year, he starts 20th, so do the math there. Hey, hey. Does that mean you're locking in your prediction already, or are you, you uh, waiting until no. Friday? Okay. I, I, I have to wait until Friday. I thought so. I just didn't know if maybe you were you were revealing a little too much there in regards yeah, to... Yeah, give us a little tease. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that, because you'll probably steal my pick then. That's, 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 that's true. I'm not above that. I'm not I'm not above stealing an Eddie Garrison pick. Went a little bit long that segment, but we'll, of course, happily do it for the four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. And a special thank you as well to Renus VK. Always good to get both perspectives today of the, of the young... I was his fourth time for Renus at the Indy 500 and for <laughs> for Elio it continues as he tries to somehow capture a fifth and become the first driver to win five Indianapolis 500 very much a possibility for him on Sunday when we come back we will reset things a little bit with our NBA conversation and we're going to also have a conversation as well deeper on the national level at two o'clock. Yeah, I have my buddy Mark Schindler, who covers the WNBA for literally at WNBA, um, covers the NBA for Dime Up Rocks, a few other outlets as well. He's very well versed as far as the personality pieces, the scheme pieces. I, I will explain to him we don't need you know a bunch of X's and O's talk because he'll get <laughs> he'll get in the weeds. But sure. he's a great guy and someone I enjoy talking basketball with. We'll have that for you and then our conversation regarding the Colts quarterback decision making and what should or should not factor in. We'll get to that at the bottom of the two o'clock hour. But a quick turnaround and we come back and a reset on the NBA conference finals. Nuggets punched their ticket yesterday. We'll discuss next. 
Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. What's your favorite Aerosmith song? Don't Stop Believing. First off, that was uncalled for. James was taking a shot at you briefly during the break, and I came to your aid, and that's how you repay me? Disrespectful, Eddie Garrison. Disrespectful. <laughs> I had to. I figured you would save that for um, uh, I figured you would save that for when we had Brian No back a little bit later, but I'm glad that uh, you just take any opportunity to Well, I figured you can play off Don't Stop Believing because, you know, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, they're not... Okay. Stopping. Okay. Did you pull something there? As you're trying to trying to reach to, to no. justify? No. You haven't seen what they said? Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart both said today, don't let us win one. Oh, yeah. I did see that because I said that to a buddy of mine because we were joking about yesterday, all three of us were, in regards to the Kevin Pillar Boston Red Sox mantra of, don't let us win tonight. Better put us away here. Boston shockingly adopting uh, that mantra. You have no other choice to down 3-0. Uh, a la four days in October, if you've seen that thirty for thirty, even even as a as a Yankees fan, and that is you know a very painful memory of my childhood to look back on. I, I, the comedy of a team being in that situation. Better put us away, James. Don't don't give us life here, Boston. In that instance, obviously able to deliver on it uh, tonight. The chances of that happening. Slim to none, unless you look at the uh, ESPN BPI uh, index, in which case Celtics still have a still have a shot. But in my boat. Uh, Broomsticks getting back-to-back work, uh, East Coast, West Coast action from <laughs> L.A. all the way down to South Beach in terms of Eastern Western Conference sweeps. Are you in that same camp? Yes. Fire that BPI chart, <laughs> graph, whatever it is. These stupid analytics. No, I'm joking. But get rid of that. That is ridiculous. They're on the brink of being out. The Boston Celtics are. And I don't see an avenue where they win four straight and win this series definitely not and I don't see them winning more than a game or maybe two because of how poorly they played how disjointed they look and how defeated they looked the last game I mean I'll be shocked if I saw a completely different effort from the team I mean they might come out and play harder but at some point it just feels like they're gonna bend and then break because that's what they've done all postseason and they've been able to get away with it in the previous rounds because of their talent, but it seems like the Heat, even as a less talented team, on paper that is, they do not beat themselves. They force you to execute. They force you to play a high level of basketball, and Boston will do that for certain stretches and then completely fall apart. And so I'm very interested to see how they look after that first Miami run or Miami punch, if they'll punch back. Because if they don't, then you can just mail it in and, you know, just be ready to start your vacation in Miami. You know how last day of like a vacation or a road trip, 
you got to check out, right? So you'd have your suitcases and perhaps maybe you're going to go get lunch, but you don't have time to like leave the suitcase at the hotel because they want you out. So you're taking the bags everywhere with you. I think that'll be your answer after that first Miami run. You're going to see the the bags with the with the with the uh, Jason Tatum tag on one, Jalen Brown tag on the other, just ready to go on the bench. You know, to the side, they can just take it when that final horn sounds and head out on Biscayne and, and be done. And I'll say this too: similar to how LeBron went out last night, sort of on his sword. No consolation prize for that, but it was cool to see him just go all out. That's the type of effort you want to see. Even if you do lose, if Jimmy Butler and company are like, whatever you do, you just can't beat us, that's one thing. But you cannot come out here and have another 12-point game, 14-point game from your two co-stars who obviously you're thinking of paying a lot of money. I mean, this is to me a game that would decide Boston's future because they're on the brink of having to give Jalen Brown – Nearly $300 million guaranteed as the Supermax extension. Do you give that to him if you can't win a game with him or Jason Tatum in the Eastern Conference Finals? So I think that um, they have some big decisions coming either way, but certainly if they lay an egg tonight. We'll dive into that a little bit further with Mark Schindler, who covers both the NBA and the WNBA, strictly for WNBA.com in that regard, but also for Dime and a couple other spots as well. We'll get his perspective on it all. I tell you what, that alleged legacy game that happened for Jason Tatum last series, all gets forgotten, all gets put by the wayside here by the time Miami's done with them. Back in a moment, here on the Fan Midday Show. Still here in the DriveHubler.com studio having fun with my buddies Jimmy Cooks, Eddie Garrison and now Mark Schindler who covers the WNBA for literally at WNBA and then also the NBA for Dime, Up Rocks and other outlets Mark, how you doing my man? James, I'm good dude it's been a minute, how are things on your end? They're going good, I know you're down in Atlanta now doing some things with the dream so congrats on that you know new position you have so many hats you and Karina I can never keep up so congrats on that yeah I appreciate it man thank you so I guess I'll start here we've talked a lot about the draft for the Pacers what they can do who they might select but free agency is another avenue obviously where they can upgrade and get this team to a place where they could be in playoff contention next year so who are some players free agency-wise, or even just trade-wise, that you think the Pacers should target. And I know in that mix, there has to be some forwards and wings in there because there aren't enough of them here in Indianapolis right now, Mark. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, man. I think that's what I'm going to be really excited to see what they do in the offseason because part of what's so interesting is that, I mean, kind of like you mentioned, they have a lot of options. Uh, They have a ton of cap space to work with. Um, they have a really interesting young team. And I think especially when we're talking about the NBA, there's uh, a lot more leeway to bring guys in just given uh, how important just financials are for it. So uh, one thing that I'll be curious on, not that I'm sure he it would entirely fit, I think, you know, with the idea of this team likes shooting and upside, I think is kind of their, their MO right now. Like they want guys who, who can really shoot the ball, who can play in Rick's system, um, and who have some upside. And one guy who I wonder if, if, that, if he maybe fits that bill, uh, is Gary Trent Jr. Like I, I'm not sure that he's a guy I would consider, you know, three and D. I think his defense has improved over the last year or so. But as somebody who could kind of fit the mold of just an extra 
um, shot maker alongside uh, what Tyrese brings in that system, you know, with Benedict coming up as well. That can be interesting. He's more of like kind of a straight up two guard than a, than a three, but it's an interesting name to think about. Mark, when you look at the Eastern Conference that is right now and you look three through six, so teams that were outside of the play and squarely in the playoffs, the Pacers in an ideal world would like to be in that window by the time that we are looking back at the season that was next offseason or next time around uh, next year. When you look at Philadelphia, Cleveland, New York, Brooklyn, Atlanta, when you look in that mix, is there real room for the Pacers to make a leap given the struggles that a lot of those teams or changes that a lot of those teams are going to have to undergo this offseason? That's such a great question. That's something I've been thinking about. You know, I think for me, I feel like the top five is fairly cemented. Like, I, I don't think that Milwaukee is going to fall out. Boston, even with changes probably on the on the come up, I don't expect them to drop out of home court advantage. I think Cleveland maybe takes another step next year. Depends on what they do in the offseason for sure. Philadelphia is probably a little bit more up in the air, but regardless, I would expect them to be better. And I think the Knicks have set a good enough baseline for me where I feel that they're going to be at least six seed or higher. Obviously, injuries can always be finicky. Um and Miami as well. I mean, that feels wild to, to even talk about where Miami's at right now. But, um, you know, when you're looking at Toronto, it feels like a lot could happen this year. I mean, this offseason with uh, the inflection point of do they trade OG and Anobi um, or one of the, their front court players to, to try and get some more flexibility in what they're doing. Because it's, it's been rumored for a long time. Um, it seems like if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. Uh, obviously Chicago had a little bit of a disappointing season compared to what last year was. Um, and it seems like there's real room for that to be just kind of like, I just generally don't have a read on what they're going to do. So kind of like you're mentioning, I mean, even with Atlanta brought in Quinn Snyder at the end of the year, they don't really want to go backwards. This was a backwards year for them. So it's kind of in an awkward place of, I feel like this team is going to be in the same zone next year, you know, like being in that play in mix. Uh, but I think within that, you know, the, the growth that you can see on court, I think that will be more of what you're tracking rather than you know, whether or not this team makes the playoffs. Mark, just so you know, once you mentioned OG Ananobi, all of Indiana was just like, oh, he's going to be a pacer. So, <laughs> of course they did. <laughs> but one player who's obviously already here and is a franchise cornerstone, that is Tyrese Halliburton. For you, and we talked about it, you know, briefly through Twitter and things like that. What has it been like to see him find that balance of being a aggressive scorer but still a true point guard? Because I feel like that's a hard thing for him to balance because he's so pass first. But, you know, how cool was it to see him sort of find his footing and really establish himself as one of the best scorers in the league and, you know, again, one of the best passers? Oh, it's been special, man. Um, seeing his development has just been kind of a uh... – Saying mind-blowing sounds unfair. Like, you know, that, that makes it seem like I thought he wasn't going to be something. Like, I, I honestly thought, you know, especially first year in the league, I was like, this dude is going to be awesome. Like, I'm so excited about him. I thought he would make all-star teams. But the, the last season is just different. Like, we're going from talking about, like, okay, maybe he's, like, the second or third best player on a really good team to, to now you're looking at, all right, this is a guy who's legitimately starting to, um, to mold into a guy who can really score. Um, and I think part of what's so fun in that is, there's still so much room for that to improve. Um, and I think you saw a really big strides in that this past season. Um, and part of what's cool, too, that I think gets undersold sometimes in, in guys' developments, 
it's the self-awareness. Like, he is, uh, and this is more to say, like, it makes him stand out rather than to, to be unkind to those who are not, you know, who don't have the same level. Like, I think that just makes him that much more special. Like, having somebody who is so cognizant of what they need to get better at, how to get better at it, and seeing them do it, like, you just don't see that all the time. That's when you're talking about the great players in the league, that's how they get there for the most part. So um, I don't really know how to even put a ceiling on him because of what his growth has been like over the past couple of years. Mark, when you look at what's happening in the Eastern Conference Finals right now, the discussion, at least down south in Miami, has been whether or not this is the most enjoyable or the most exciting of any of Miami's runs to the finals. Again, I know it's not over yet, but like I, <laughs> I saw game three, like, like it, it, Boston's probably the best over, equipped yeah. <laughs> to be the first team to come back from three Oh, if you're looking at roster construction, but yeah, I, I, I think the nails in the coffin, when you look at just how this improbable run is shaped up for Miami, what's the biggest differentiator between this and past Heat teams? Obviously, it's the star power, but just how Spolster has changed this roster while keeping it still in tune with their culture down there. And then secondly on that, where did everything go so far south with Boston in the series? Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to pick apart there. Um, I think the biggest thing for me with the Heat is all year it kind of just felt like they never quite gelled correctly. Like obviously their defense was elite throughout the season, but you know, they really struggled with their, their shooting in general throughout the year. And for a team where, you know, like they don't really, I mean, obviously Jimmy is, is, is incredible. Mm -hmm. He's been fantastic all year. Um, but they don't really have somebody who just, uh, creates, well, I like there's, there's not like a LeBron type or somebody who is like this giant, you know, uh, primary initiator for them that, that really kickstarts things. And I think some people will hear that and get, well, Jimmy, yes, I think Jimmy is that guy in the playoffs right now with, with how he steps up. And he does that at points during the regular season. But I think when you look at how few of the guards that, like their team's full of combo guards. So it's a lot of guys who really need to create out of ball screens to get their best looks. And when the shooting isn't there, you know, it's really hard to get a lot out of it. So I think that was a problem all year. And now it's not just to say that this is because of shooting. I think when you get, some of the, the confidence in play for guys, um, the shooting blending together, their defense hitting an extra level, um, and just getting more out of guys. Like, Max Struess really struggled throughout the regular season after having a really good year last year. Um, Duncan Robinson was a non-factor, and then this past game, he looked like, like you know, like looking at Paul George for a second. Um, obviously not Paul George, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I'd never right. seen Duncan Robinson take somebody off the dribble like that before, and he did it for an entire quarter. Um, so it's like you get all that. You get what Kevin Love has brought, um, you know, after he came over. Um, I, I think some of this team has been undersold as, you know, like, oh, it's just a bunch of undrafted guys and it's the, the culture and the fit. And, like, no, this is – Jimmy Butler has been the best player in the playoffs, without question for me. And like, that has been – that that can't be understated. He has been legitimately the best player in the playoffs. He's playing incredible defense. Offensively, there just has not been really a great way to guard him because he can get his baskets in so many ways. Like they, they'll run him off screens. They'll use him as a screener. Like he is maybe the most versatile scorer in uh, in the. I mean, I mean, there's four teams left, three teams left in the playoffs. So, so that's not actually saying a lot. But like throughout the playoffs, like the way that he's got his buckets, it's not just. Jimmy Butler shooting from the mid range or driving like it's they're they're doing everything with him, 
Um, I think so much of that is, is, I mean, that has been so decisive for them in, in, in opening things up. Just you can't account. I mean, what he did to Milwaukee in that one game uh, was like watching that. I remember my dad doesn't really watch the NBA nearly as much. I mean, I'm watching, you know, four or five games a night. He'll watch one with me a week. I remember sitting down and he came in uh, during that game where Jimmy went for like, what, 50. And he's like, you might be the best playoff player I've ever seen. And I was like, you know what? (laughs) Kind of got a point. Like he's not Michael Jordan, but uh, he is just a special performer in the playoffs. And that's been huge. Looking out west, because I would argue, Mark, that you know, if you tell Michael Malone that Jimmy Butler's been the best player in the playoffs, he might have some choice words for you. <laughs> of <course he> would. <laughs> but I know a lot of the news coverage got caught up with LeBron and will he retire, all of that. But just focusing on the teams that are left, the team that advanced to the finals last night, how cool is it to see Jamal Murray healthy? And what it means to this team, because for a few years, there was this, in my opinion, very stupid narrative about Jokic not being able to win in the playoffs. And then he gets a healthy co-star and they're going to the finals for the first time in franchise history. It's it's awesome, man. I was thinking about this because uh, I, you know, I'm, my, my birthday's coming up soon. So I'm like mid-20s, I'll turn 26. Um, and, you know, I think time has hit me more than anything in the playoffs. Like, you know, with, with Melo retiring yesterday, I was just thinking about like, you know, when I was six watching him play and, and get drafted in 2003. And, you know, I think when, when you, when you take that and look at this past year, I put this out as a, as kind of a joke yesterday, like Paul Millsap's one of my 10 favorite players of all time. Don't ask. So it's a weird story, but um, <laughs> like I tweeted this out, like, okay, you know, like the, the domino meme with the smallest domino of Paul Millsap signs three for 90 in 2017 to Nuggets 2023 finals appearance. And I think, well, that is a joke. That's also like, it's, it's notable. Um, that was the biggest free agent that I had ever signed in Denver in my lifetime. Um, Cause obviously I had, you know, coming off of growing up with that, the, you know, it, the, the team breaks apart um, when Melo re- requests for the trade. Um, they have the really nice season when Iggy comes over and then he leaves. And then they just kind of were fine, but the, kind of like just the, an awkward mismatch of talent for the next couple of years until everything started to come together in 2016 and 2017 when Jokic really starts to click. Obviously, they have the Jokic and Nurkic thing. Jamal Murray, like, I think it's easy to forget, like, Jamal really took two or three seasons to to establish himself. Like, he really he, – he was fine his first year or two, but then you – know, I mean, like, I, it, it's easy to forget, especially since we're talking about Indiana, Fisher's own. Um, Gary Harris looked like he was going to be the, the star guard in Denver. Like that was the guy circulated around the, the potential Paul George trade to, to, to Denver that year um, was Gary Harris. And like, you see so much of like going from there to, to where they're at now, all the trials and tribulations that have happened, all the injuries that have happened. Like obviously after the Aaron Gordon trade happens, that team looked like a finals contender for the next eight games until Jamal Murray goes out for the season. And then the next year, they start to look really good. Michael Porter Jr. is playing incredibly well. And then he's injured. Um, they just It's been kind of a testimony to um, how difficult it is to win in the moment, lose in the games that – in the series that matters most. Obviously, there's a lot more context and nuance to that. But, like, to actually keep a team together and find all of the right ingredients uh, and, and miss, you know, mix that all together – 
at the right time. I mean, it's, it's been literally a half decade in the making. So I think thinking of it from that angle has been really special. And I thought about that a lot last night, and it's, uh, it, it's, it just makes me very excited to see them play in the finals because it's been uh, it's been like you mentioned a little bit off top, James, with some of the uh, the narratives around what this team has or hasn't done. I think to see them finally get here, it's it's been really really special to watch. Again, talking to Mark Schindler, covered the WNBA for at WNBA, the NBA for Dime Rocks, Three Roll Sports, and other outlets. Mark, to pivot to the W, you know, you got the Fever coming to your town. Um, you know, this this weekend for a matchup, you got the current number one pick, Aaliyah Boston, the reigning number one pick or previous number one pick, Ryan Howard, who was the reigning rookie of the year. What about that matchup um, can we expect with two players? Ryan, I believe, has already shown what she can do for a franchise and then obviously what Aaliyah um, could mean to the Fever if she is as great as many people think she will be. I think what's really fun in looking at this, uh, like granted, I don't I don't think the game's going to be anything crazy. I'm excited about the Fever's direction. I know that they're 0-2 to start the year, but – I really like Christy Sides. I think Kelsey Mitchell, I, I'm not even going to say underrated. Like, I think it's just people not paying attention. Like, Kelsey Mitchell is one of the best players in the WNBA. I've really liked what she and Aaliyah can look like together. Um, I look at this overall, and I think to me this is uh, not to get too hyperbolic, but looking at Ryan and, and Aaliyah, those are two of the best players that have come into the to the, to the W within the last half decade. And um, I think – it's not unfeasible for Aaliyah to end up an all-star herself this year like Ryan was last year. That doesn't happen often to have rookies who have that level of impact and, and, and ability. So I think to me, even if this game doesn't even end up mattering all that much in the long run, it's worth it as like, hey, this is the first time. Obviously, you know, they played each other in Kentucky and South Carolina, and they, they have a, a pretty solid relationship. But, like, looking at it from the aspect of, hey, this is the first matchup we get to see of them in the pros – and this might be one of the ones that we are talking about these two players interlinked for the next 15 years. Like, I, I think that's how I would approach this game, honestly. Mark, this is a bit of a go out on a limb question because I don't know your taste. So you very well could have just been posting videos just to react to all the chaos that is on Twitter on a daily basis. But uh, are you a big I think you should leave fan? massive I okay love, i think you should leave okay good so i for those that don't know i think you should leave is a, a very good sketch comedy show on netflix uh it's created by tim robinson new episodes coming out next week uh a week from now actually not a sponsor of the show but just i'm equally looking forward to that uh you posted one yesterday because we've entered in this territory now not that we weren't always there to begin with but the idea of lebron potentially retiring and a lot of out there takes in regard to uh, did he succeed, did he not succeed? Uh, your overall takeaways from all that chatter early, and then we were talking about this last week. If it's this bad right now, when you could make the argument that LeBron exceeded pretty much anything that was ever put on his plate, what is going to happen with Victor Wembanyama over the course of his career here in the NBA with how hyped up he is right now? Man, uh, it's, it's funny. I've been thinking about this a lot. Kind of like I mentioned earlier with just thinking about time in general and, and how things work. Um, like there was a, a tweet that, that prompted that from me. It's, uh, it's just Tim Robinson screaming as he puts his hands on the steering wheel um, because like that's how I felt in the moment. Uh, like somebody's saying, it's, it's light for LeBron to have only won four, four rings in his career. And first off, like I don't like rings culture. I think it just yeah. undersells so much. Part of the reason why like, I'm not a fan anymore, I, I just cover basketball, but 
I grew up a Pacers fan because I always loved watching teams that, um, you know, were just it, not saying some of their parts sounds like at, at almost too much of like, oh, well, I don't like stars. It's more like, no, I, I, I like watching a team that does what they can to the max. Like, it's not about winning a title for me. It's so much of if this team hit the most that they could in that given year with what they were. Like, watching that Hawks team in, in 2014-15 with what they did winning 60 games, um, even with them bowing out in the Eastern Conference Finals, like, I think it's part of why I love those teams is that it reminds me of how incredible greatness is. Like, looking at somebody like LeBron, like, okay, let me – those two teams I just mentioned, all right, the 2012-13, 2013-14 Pacers, the Hawks pretty much every year. Um, like, I mean, we had the – we had the Joe Johnson, Jay Smooth team that was really good during Mike Woodson's year. They lost in the playoffs before they could even play LeBron. Um, the Orlando Magic, who were one of the few teams that ever beat LeBron in the playoffs. Like, all of these teams that I can look at just in the Eastern Conference from my childhood growing up, I think about all those great players who played in that, and it's like, okay, well, none of them could beat LeBron. And that's like, to me, that's so much of what it comes back to, like, uh, you know, I grew up in Cleveland, just outside Cleveland, and I didn't really appreciate and understand LeBron when I was a kid because, I mean, he was drafted when I was in kindergarten. So all I'd ever known growing up was this dude's really awesome. Our games are always sold out. I've gone to a lot of them. I got a bobblehead. Cool. Um, but then when I really start to understand and get into basketball, you're like, oh, that's LeBron James. I think to me it's just when you talk about, like, this is the first year for me where he is really kind of saying falling off sounds unkind, but, like, Going from being a guy who is a top five player in the league to top 12 to 15, that's where he's been after yeah. me this year. I think he was rightfully all NBA, but like, that's just being blunt, being honest. Like Injuries have played a part for sure, but um, as awesome as he was in game four yesterday, like he just physically is not capable of doing some things anymore. And he's not to the level where he can adapt to overcome some of those things with where he's at athletically. He's still an incredibly good player, but that's more to pivot and say – it took 20 years to get to this point of saying that this dude is not a top five player in the league anymore. And that is like, and I mean, you can very well bounce back and things look different next year with, with it, with an off season arrest, obviously he's more retirement, but that all goes to say like, this dude is insanely good. Like one of not even one, I, to me, he is the best he's ever done. Obviously I didn't grow up in, 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 in MJ's era. So it's different, but, um, I think when you just look at his career, I don't care about the rings. I don't care about any of that. It's so much more about every moment in my life, I can connect back to something LeBron James had just done. Like, that's the kind of player and being that he is because of everything that, that he's done on the basketball court and off of it as well. And, like, I, who cares if he lost to the Mavericks? Like, that, it, that, I think what he's done has transcended anything that he could do by winning more championships as far as I'm concerned. So when you pivot that and look at Victor Wembanyama, I think it's too much to – not saying you were. I think it is too much to put the idea of, like, best prospect on LeBron since LeBron on somebody. I mean, we did that with Zion. Best prospect of with, all sports. Don't, don't, don't get yeah. that twisted. Be careful, Mark. <laughs> exactly. And it's like that's, that's going so far. I just want to watch this unfold before we, yeah. we make this guy. And it's less about like saying that he's not – I think that he does have the talent to be that kind of player. He's incredibly special. I mean, his feel for the game at his height with his mobility and his touch, we've never seen a player like that before, just putting it bluntly. Um, but also – I just want to wait and watch that unfold for him before we like 
make some 18 year old something more than he can handle. Uh, Cause I've seen, I and mean, we've just seen it happen so many times before of, and that's not to say anything against anybody, but it's like, okay, I still think I, I mean, I take Zion first overall every day. You just can't predict how injuries are going to happen sometimes. Um, and it's unfortunate. It's part of the game, but um, yeah, I, I think I, it's, I don't know. It, all of this is to say like everything from the last half decade of my life has just forced me more into appreciate what you're witnessing. Don't put too much pressure on what's coming and just enjoy it because it's, I mean, we went from feeling like LeBron was never going to retire. Like that. I, at least in my life, again, like I could never picture right. LeBron not playing basketball to now, Hey, what, what does this look like next year? If LeBron's not playing, how am I going to feel about that? I was already a mess yesterday with Carmelo Anthony retiring, knowing that was coming. <laughs> and now, you know, we're here. So it's, uh, it's just, uh, it's an incredibly weird confluence of, of events. Mark, thanks so much for your time, man. Really appreciate you diving into the W, the NBA, LeBron, Melo, Wemby with us. I'll talk to you soon, man, and um, you know, take care of my fever down there, or our fever down there in Atlanta. And enjoy. I think you should leave, Mark. <laughs> I will for sure. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one. All right. That was Mark Schindler. Covers the WNBA for WNBA and the NBA for Dime Rocks, a couple other outlets as well. Um, Dime Up Rocks, that is. I'm sorry. And, you know, he made a good point about how much pressure is being put on Wimby. And, we'll all be um, rational about it, though, right? After that, oh, that's all somebody needs to do is listen to that conversation we just oh, had. No, no, no. We'll all be rational. All that context, all that's that fine. feeling, all that emotion. <laughs> get that out of here. We did not. If I had that pick, uh-uh. And, and like I said, I'm still holding out hope that he drops to number seven. So. <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> I couldn't even say it with a straight face. I think legitimately, we were joking about this to start the show, I think there's a better chance that one of the three of us is behind the wheel in the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. I already told you. I got, Victor I went, yeah, I'm sorry. The two of us. Eddie already got the that's our, my, It's my fault. The two of us are behind the wheel for the greatest spectacle in racing before Victor Obanyama falls to seven. I feel like you get that, that's a very high chance in that regard by comparing the two. Don't doubt my abilities to sway draft uh, <laughs> drafts, Eddie. Okay, I will talk to some people. I, I will I, talk. I'm, to, not, I'm not doubting you. Here. I know these uh, writers are on strike guy. right now, but I will find one or two that will freelance to write the script and get Wimby to Indy. <laughs> All right, I'll let it go. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's James Boyd. I am Jimmy Cook. Still to come. We'll discuss more on that quarterback conversation that we had with Mike Chapel and some news. Down in Bloomington, we'll unpack when we come back on The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison here on the Fan Midday Show. Happy Tuesday to you. A little bit of news out of Bloomington. Another piece to Mike Woodson's program. Complete as Calvert Chaney 
one of the all-time greats to ever do it down in Bloomington, leaves the Pacers, heads to Indiana as the director of player development. The reaction on social media, as you would expect, uh, very excited Banner for Calvert. Coming? Banner coming? Uh, <laughs> Okay. Okay. First off, I'm gonna pull rank, even though Eddie is the is is as diehard of an IU guy as I am. Even I didn't go that far as the as the Indiana alum in the room. <laughs> even that wasn't the first play. But sure, let's go there. Let's dive into it, James. Shall we? Banner season. It's banner season. Here's here, here's advice for you, James, because you've interacted with every sector of the IU fan base over the last couple of years. Obviously, as an Illinois talking grad. <laughs> and for those that don't know, you could mention him on Twitter at Romeoville Kid uh, if you're interested in, in having some nice um, uh, educational dialogue with uh, James Boyd. But James, uh, I, I say that to you. Calvert chained out of Bloomington. Eddie Garrison put it out there. Uh, uh, another banner coming to Bloomington now that this, this move's done. James? Uh, I'm going to be <laughs> the voice of reason in this room. But jokes aside, I do think that it makes him a better program so you're going to say it leads them to a banner that's the voice of reason right lord have mercy (laughs) why not let's do it i feel like you know whatever happens i've just been down bad with my illinois we won't talk about them uh hashtag double team the best player next year please um but i think that uh got the chance to know caliber when i was covering the pacers really good dude really straightforward straight shooter i think you need some of that in today's college game where you know a lot of kids you got video highlight reels things like that telling you how great you are all the time here's someone who's been everywhere you want to go literally everywhere like seriously it can tell you what it takes to be great and obviously having him alongside Mike Woodson bodes well not only for what the program has already done with you know Jalen Huchifino and Trace Jackson Davis being projected first round picks and then you know showing them like hey we have a blueprint to get you to where you want to go come to us and you know you'll win Maybe a banner, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. And um, you'll have a chance to do this professionally. So I think it's a good move, one that I truly don't think could be criticized. I think it's one of those rare moves where it's like a 100% approval rating for the IU fan base. Yeah, it's not a move anywhere where there's going to be, at least there shouldn't be, like backlash for this move happening. Like, if if, if anything, it should be I'll infiltrate, and no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, again, at Romeo Kid, if you're trying to come after James. But, he no, loves I mean, the mentions. He's, oh, and James is a big fan of, of That's mentions. all we do during the breaks. Yep. I have learned my lesson. Just quick <laughs> tangent. I have learned my lesson. IU fans are relentless. Love them. And I love them when I can talk my trash and... You know, sometimes I have to love them when I can't talk my trash, which was last season and the year before that. Just wait till I send you another red and white text. Oh, yeah. Tony East, if you're listening, <laughs> you set me up for failure, my friend. And so I've been digging out of that hole ever since. Jimmy, I don't know if I'll be clear of it, but getting back to the point, I do think in all seriousness, this is a great move for the program and one that just further establishes them as someone that you're going to have to be, you know, being reckoned with it, I think, because Mike Woodson, when he came in, there was a little, you know, is he going to be here for a while? It seems like he's going to be here. He should be here, and he's making sure that he's got some backup with him. You mentioned it, the experience aspect of it. And again, some some of that, not in this instance, but in some instances that can be overblown, but literally any situational question that you would want to ask to have somebody like that on staff within the building, within the campus of how do I get to where I want to go? How do I become a first round pick? And Cheney obviously played in the league for 13 years. Like, how am I able to sustain that? 
while utilizing this time to grow and develop and also make a contribution in the candy stripes? How am I able to grow as a player? You pretty much took every National Player of the Year award out there in 1993. How did you do it? Is my is my work ethic enough? It, how do I handle the stress? Any question you could have on your mind is now there. Not that it wasn't before, but this is great. And plus, you have one of the you know best players, most decorated players ever back in the building. Yeah, I mean, from not only a coaching standpoint, but a marketing standpoint, it's great. You can sell it to the older crowd saying, hey, we've keeping our own, you know, with us. You know, we're not shying away from what he's done for our program. So that's there, that aspect of it. And again, if you can take that guy with you on a recruiting trip or, mm-hmm. and sell him to a prospective player and their family, who wouldn't listen? I feel like you got to have, you know, a rudimentary knowledge of IU to know that he is a guy you want to listen to. Um, And again, I'm just picturing a freshman, you know, questioning Calbert Chaney on something like, what? Are you kidding me? Like this is, (laughs) hey, 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 young whippersnapper, I've done this um, and I've done it better than you. And so I think there's a certain level of that. I said 93, not 63 with the whippersnapper. Well, yeah, that's true. (laughs) I mean, look, you got to understand, he's 51. I don't expect him to be doing TikToks, you know, or uh, doing those types of things on visits. So there is some whippersnapper in there, I'm sure. But um, like I said, I got a chance to know him pretty well. Straight shooter, good dude. And someone I think the Pacers on the flip side are really going to miss because he did a lot of – help with player development, things like that. He was always that assistant who was around after practice to help you work on your individual game and things like that. And so um, I'm sure the Pacers are happy for him, but at the same time, they're like, man, we wish we could have kept him around. And um, I guess the bittersweet part of it, he isn't going far. He's going to be an hour away in Bloomington. And the flowers and the praise was rightfully handed out as well from the Pacers and from Coach Carlisle. Uh, this from Tony East about 22 minutes ago, congratulating Calvert Cheney on returning to his alma mater and joining head coach Mike Woodson's staff at Indiana University. So very exciting all around. All the best out to Calvert and Coach Woodson's staff and looking forward to seeing how that continues to all come together as we get closer and closer to the start of the college basketball season. I want to pivot to the NFL for just a second because we've been teasing this for a little bit throughout the show. We had that conversation with Mike Chappell, and I think Chappie was right in the regard of where the quarterback room is for the Colts right now with the OTAs getting started and the decisions that you have to make of when do you start Anthony Richardson, what is best for the veterans on this team, and if he's not ready, you can't throw him out there. In my mind, though, it has to be a he's not ready of, and Chappie agreed with this towards the end, as we re-clarified everything, he was saying that the whole time, but as we re-clarified it, it would have to be him looking lost out there, looking confused in terms of being able to catch up on concepts and understand what Shane Steichen is trying to build and being able to pick up defenses. If it is, you look at Minshew, because yes, he's obviously the more polished player in that locker room right now because he has years of experience underneath his belt. But if you look at the two of them and you say, no, Richson has the system down he has the processing ability down his biggest area lacking is reps we need to get him reps but Minshew might win us two more games that can't be the conversation you have because what ends up happening is if you think you're going to be two games better than you would have been without Richardson just for the sake of argument with Minshew and maybe you somehow squeak into the playoffs because of how soft this schedule is at least in terms of strength of schedule last year I get it any given Sunday blah 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 I understand but Based on last year's metrics, 
relatively easy schedule. If it's only two games and your thought is that we're going to start Minshew, Richardson's not ready, you're then punting a year of development away. If it's not a, he will hurt himself when he's out there. He'll hurt his development. If that's the answer, okay, don't put him out there. But if the answer is, well, he's got it down pat, but Minshew's just a little bit better, you're doing yourself a disservice not putting him out there right away if the only missing piece is repetition. Yeah, I agree. I think the gap would have to be significant for Gardner Minshew. Like, Gardner Minshew is up here, and Richardson's down here, and he's just not getting it, which, again, is a real possibility. I want to just throw that out there. I know we've been singing his praises. He's someone who, personality-wise, is a great young man. He has all the physical tools you'd hope to find in a quarterback. Needs to clean some things up, but it is a high-risk, high-reward type of pick because he is such an outlier, and he hasn't proven to be a great player you know, in college and, and certainly not in the NFL because he hasn't played yet. So it's a possibility that the learning curve could be so steep that he just won't get it as quickly as you would like, and it would hurt your team tremendously to put him out that hurt his development tremendously. So that's a possibility. The second part is what I care about more. I got to be honest, and this is why, again, I wouldn't be in the front office. I don't care about the overall value of the team. That's a terrible take, I understand. I care about the quarterback's development. Like that 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 that's first and foremost in my mind. I don't care about DeForest Buckner making it to a divisional round because no, he doesn't want to no. die. Like you know what I mean? Like I I and I agree with you. I'm just saying <laughs> you can't throw him out there and look the guys that you are paying sure. a lot of money to in the face and say he can't be a liability. Right. You're okay with that. Yeah. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Like yeah. you preach that and I think it's a cliche in certain aspects of football, more than any other sport, that team first, next man up, everyone's going to earn their keep. You can't preach that and then throw somebody out there who's clearly just not ready. And by that, I mean not understanding the playbook, things like that. If it's just like mechanical issues, if it is some, you know, there's going to be some scheme stuff, some. He's going to struggle know, like whenever that. you right. put him out there. But it just can't be to the point where it hurts his own development. Now, team wise, obviously. They want to get wins, and quite frankly, if you're a player, this is where this road kind of gets a little traffic, so to speak, Right. because you want to win. If I'm DeForest Buckner, if I'm Zaire Franklin, if I'm Michael Pippen Jr., I don't want to hear about what you're doing two years from now. I don't care. I'm trying to win right now, sure. and even as players, it's like... We don't do well. We don't perform well. You get higher draft picks. Those guys are coming in and take our jobs. Right. So I'm not playing that, you know, that this guy hopefully, you know, can take my job. It's it's different with Anthony Richardson because everyone knows he's the face of the franchise. But again, they're being judged off what they're doing in real time. So there's no guarantees for any of those guys either. So there is a balance you have to find. But to me, like I've been saying all along, if you can protect him, you put him out there unless he's just – completely in it over his head which is a possibility we'll see but I do think that you know OTA's training camp all those things will play a big factor in his development and how ready he can be come time for the preseason and the regular season there's a fine line between putting him out there because you're trying to tank for a draft pick and putting him out there because he needs reps he needs to grow Minshew might be a game or two better but we're not worried about that we're worried about long-term development And if he's truly not ready, then yeah, you go with Minshew and you roll right along. 
We're going to take a quick break. We come back. We'll have some bets for you. Good things yesterday. Hoping to keep it rolling today like that. Like a little bit of like a little bit of applause to get us through with some bets. Plus a final look. And maybe I put the pressure on him because he's not going to do it. He's going to text us on Friday. Maybe James Boyd will have a winner for the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. That and more we return on the fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 Plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. But why though? Like, I think awesome. Like, I'm, it's great. I'm chuckling over here. But, but, but why? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what, you got a problem with Shaggy? I don't have a problem with Shaggy. I just it, it caught me off guard to end the show. The fact that you let it play too on runway was was nice. I just didn't didn't see it coming. So you never know what you're gonna get here on the Fan Midday Show. Always appreciate DJ Eddie Garrison. Uh, rumors, rumblings. He's gonna be opening for DJ Diesel, aka Shaq, uh, coming up here on Friday. I don't know no, if that's true or not. No, no, no. no you're He's not. opening for me. Uh, that's gonna say you're closing. There you go. Ooh, yeah. There you, you got go. That kind of poor Eddie. Okay, okay. <laughs> Oh, let's try to make some money. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, starting first in the world of baseball. You know the formula. I'm not afraid to share it. It is what it is. We bet against the athletics until the cows come home. We're going to take the Seattle Mariners laying one and a half on the run line. I'm judging Eddie's eyes just to see if perhaps his eyebrows raised at all, that perhaps he wants to get back in the ring and bet against me because he has a good track record there. We'll see. We'll pause on that for a second. In basketball, though, taking the Miami Heat to close it out on the money line against the Boston Celtics. I'm going to take Jimmy Butler over 27 and a half total points. Two and one yesterday. Two and one on the week. Eddie, Jimmy, bets today, bets Anything? today, anything, any pulse. I'm going to take, I'm not going any route in MLB. Okay. If I did, it's so hard with like the Padres. They're playing a really bad team against the Nationals, but the Padres cannot score, which is pretty odd. Very I odd. like the Yankees. I would take the minus one and a half, but I'm just a little worried about their offense lately. Uh, Clearly missed the eighth and ninth innings of uh, games two and three against Cincinnati over the weekend. Hey, hey, you can't count it when you're throwing <laughs> know, the same pitchers know, out there again. I'm like, hey, what do you expect? <laughs> just kidding. Hey, we just threw this guy yesterday, and Anthony Rizzo hit a home run. Let's see if he can do it again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What do you know? History can, uh, in fact, repeat itself. Sorry. I couldn't help myself. I apologize. <laughs> Shout out to Eddie Garrison, Kevin Bowen. Also, JMV, I didn't ask John for advice uh, because I figured that he wouldn't give it to a lowly uh, Yankee fan over here. Well, the uh, fact as a you member didn't of the take Empire. my advice either was pretty... I took some of your advice. I just missed out on breakfast. I regret that. I do. And I told you where to sit. You didn't sit there. You're right. I didn't. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of decisions that I did not take Eddie Garrison's advice on. But I did have... You did go to the banks. You did go to Fishbowl, though. I did. I did go to Fishbowl. 
I did get some Skyline Chili Dogs, and I did go ahead and uh, have some Larosa's Pizza as well. All things were great. Great time to be out at a great American ballpark. James Boyd, any bets tonight? And if not a bet in that regard, does Miami end it this evening? That's my only bet. Miami <laughs> end it. It's OVA, as my sister says. It's over. Well done. And I guess my other bet would be Elio Castroneves. To win. The drive for bio is complete. Yes. You're locking it in. History. I love it. Me tuning in to my first Indy 500, seeing history. That's what I do. I, I, I'm due for one after joining several beats, and they just immediately tank afterwards. So. He is plus 4,500. <laughs> so. All right. In terms of, I know we're asking a lot from you. I get it. But in terms of where you will sprinkle some money, you're not going to give us your winner yet, but does that entice you? You getting on the drive for five? You going to put any cheese on that? Any cheese? Any cheese? Cheese. Any yeah, chips? What kind of cheese, Any man? moolah? Look, Colby? I Little don't know. Yeah, I haven't fully decided on Elio. Like, he'll finish probably in the top ten. Like, So if I can find a top ten bet for him at, you know, plus odds, reasonable plus odds, or even just like remotely close to like a minus 110, I'd probably do that because he's always consistent when it comes to Indianapolis 500. He's always there in terms of the end. He's always in the top 10-ish. It's just going to be a matter of if he has the car to finish inside the top 10. Like He's starting 20th. He finished 7th last year. It looks to shape up as a pretty clean race this year. I don't think you're going to see too many incidents on the track. And if it is, it may be like a one-car instance. So I don't know. It's going to be really hard for him to move up inside the top 10 with how much speed there is at the top because that's what he struggled with so far in practice and qualifying was consistently finding speed for the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Well, James has his bet locked in. I'm like Eddie, though. I'm going to keep cards close to the chest. I'm not I'm not fully decided I yet. guarantee! <laughs> <laughs> Your best Charles Barkley to close the show. That's great. All right, so James is locking it in. Um, he is... I guess we're going to play it. I can't remember what show it was, but we're going to play it like um, oh, it was a show hosted by Anthony Anderson. And it's uh, to tell the truth, I think, is a reboot of that uh, they did on ABC. It's a long way of saying that to end the show, if you lose, uh, he gets to send a tweet out. I think Eddie Garrison should get to send an IU basketball related tweet out on the Romeoville Kid account if we're giving guarantees out there. Let's do it because it ain't coming. <laughs> Elio, we locked in. I love it. We locked in. Of our conversations today, when we looked at both, and we just got a couple minutes here, but when you look at the Eastern Western Conference, assuming the sweep is done, since we won't talk to you until next week, by which time we'll be on the doorstep of the finals, any early predictions in that regard for Nuggets and what we likely think is Miami? I think it will probably be the Nuggets in six. I don't pick them to sweep, but I feel like they have enough firepower and just the overall team discipline to make the Heat uh, bend a little bit and eventually break unlike other teams have been unable to do um, Miami plays very very smart Denver plays smart they just have more talent so I'm picking the talent and the smarts to uh, lead them to their first championship in franchise history I'm torn because I want to see Denver finally do it but at the same time and we've talked about it with a number of different people when you watch the individual performance of Jimmy Butler right now if he's able to cap it off with the Larry O'Brien trophy it's probably one of the best individual playoff runs of all time like that I don't, I don't think that's fully hyperbolic to look at it that way it's a win-win for sports fans seriously like if you don't if you're not invested in it from mm-hmm. a team or fan perspective there's going to be a great underdog story that comes out um because of where each player was picked their careers to start off how they ascended and things like that 
Special thank you to Renas VK, Mike Chappell, Mark Schindler, and Elio Castroneves. Tomorrow, a slew of guests, including Kyle Kirkwood, Ed Carpenter, and Simon Pagino. Plus, Will Haskett will be back in here with us in studio. James will be back with us next week. Until then, Ride with JMV is next. Keep it right here on The Fan.